0: So today, I'm talking to my friend, Penny Gold. That's me. Hi. Hi, Penny. How are you? I haven't seen you in such a long time. How are you doing? I'm okay. Hi, my name is Penny, and my pronouns are they or she. Yeah, say that again. Your pronouns are? They or she. They or she. Okay, we're going to get into that. We're going to work our way towards that. So tell me, you grew up in Israel. Let's go all the way back. is Exactly. Tell me about Penny Gold.
1: Sure. In the beginning, man created God in his image. Mm-hmm. Anyways, once upon a time, I was born. So I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and when I was four months old, my parents, against my will, of course, because everything they did was against my will, they also fed me against my will. But against my Our will, souls. my parents moved me to Israel with themselves and my two older brothers, and that's where I, in Jerusalem. That's where I grew up.
0: Where in Where in Jerusalem?
1: Ramat, specifically Ramat Polin. Okay. Beehive-shaped buildings. It's it's pentagon shaped building for those who know it, it's you can google it Ramad it's a fascinating uh, phenomenon if you want to look in there it's just you know unusual architecture anyways mm-hmm. i grew up in that neighborhood for the first approximately 20 years of my life and in my later teens i started thinking about stopping being religious i didn't have a word for it of course because um all those stigmas and everything
0: and but you grew up like really really like Hardcore Yeshivish brisk, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I, right? I,
1: I would say Yeshivish slash brisk because so there was a strong brisk affiliation uh, orientation, but you know my brothers are brisk, the kollel and Yeshiva brisk, and and. and my sisters went to, to schools. The principal was a Soloveitchik, and half of the teachers were Soloveitchik or married to Soloveitchik.
0: And for those and for those who don't know, Brisk is famous or infamous for being the most stringent, the most you know serious, and they're they're uber over the top in their Judaism. Right? You would they know have a lot of. Me.
1: They would say chumers. They have a lot of chumers. They're very stringent. They're very um. They're the holier Hardcore. than thou. The holier than thou. Say it again.
0: Hardcore. Very serious. They're very... One would say so. One could say so. Oh, come on. That's not even... That's not... You're you're being too kind. They, I mean, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but they're very, very serious. They're very, you know, for, for they, One could say... I mean, the thing
1: is, because when you go there, even they have their layers of whatever, but they sure. are known for, for being very stringent and very machmer and machmer, machmer, yeah. machmer, machmer, machmerish. Machmer um, and machmient. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, you do grow up with a lot of unusual chumras, Except they have a few quirks that that are not humorous, like they let their can you imagine this they let their women
0: mm-hmm.
1: not wear satals like somehow they, the, the, somehow the the, the humor of, of of a tichel didn't reach
0: them oh they do allow their their, their what the women to wear shaitals so yeah like wigs, which is like one level below the strictest, otherwise it would have been a, a shmata. yes below, below tichel and below a right right yeah
1: yeah yeah so and the joke was that if hypothetically men were supposed to wear a head covering the same as women if the halacha was that men were supposed to cover their heads the same way men would wear tichols and women would wear <laughs> Right. Because,
0: because
1: because but then again it's also misogyny because women are second-class citizens and who cares like
0: well, they don't naturally. have to they don't really right. have to naturally exactly yeah um i'm yeah. saying this sarcasm of course so that's one thing. My Listen, father- I, I, I'm I i i have been listening to uh, this podcast. Uh, that's a daviyomishir just for the sheer enjoyment of it. For the sheer daviyomishir, sheer enjoyment. I get that, it. You know something? I didn't even get that. That's good. But there's there's so much I can say about it. It's it's I love it. I'm loving it. I'm having so much fun listening to this stuff. But this week, this week, it said something about you know they're talking about adamachava and this and that and God created man in in, in, in you know Kim kim means a male. That's, you know what I mean? Women are, you know, taken off of or whatever, you know, you know second class, as we're saying, from the woman. But but the man, the male, that's the Telemelakim. That's, that's the, the center uh, of the
1: center. Yeah, the center of the world. The world The world right. is about men. The women are, are here to serve to serve men, of course, right? Sarcasm right.
0: again. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm saying everything with sarcasm, not because I want to make fun of it, because I want to criticize it, but we're not ready to head on. So we're just criticizing it. I am just criticizing it um, in a sarcastic way.
0: He's talking to me. We, no, we, no, we, I'm talking to your audience. No, I'm right. To your audience. Just know everything taken with a big fat tongue in the cheek. I don't know
1: about fat, but but <laughs> <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, fat shaming either. I'm no, but i my tongue. I'm not a yeah. but I, the thing is, I'm conscious. I'm trying to be conscious of speaking to your audience as well and thinking about other audience that might, it's for, for whom it might not be obvious.
0: I understand. I totally understand.
1: Another example of of where brisk are not machmer is many of them don't fast, all the five fasts. Really? My father many? would eat on, uh, except for Tisha Yom Kippur, my father would eat on the fasts. And the excuse was, That's
0: interesting. I never knew that. Now, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, going but everybody else fasts. Nobody's, de- nobody's dropping dead. That's interesting. I know, right? I never knew that.
1: And And, and I have a feeling my father isn't the only one. And I haven't checked on what's going on with the COVID era, but I have a feeling that somehow it doesn't apply anymore.
0: Right, (laughs) right.
1: I don't know. I'm speculating.
0: When they wanted to, when they wanted to outlaw smoking, they claimed vineshmartem, but other people argued against it. It's all, you know, everybody picks and chooses. So I
1: grew up with, I didn't grow up inside this, but I grew up with a very heavy um, brisk brisk accent is what I would say. Like my principal uh, that I grew up um, in the cheder I went to, is the personal driver of David, of David Soloveitchik. My father himself studied as an American boy. He studied in Israel under Berl Soloveitchik, who is long dead. Long dead. He's of Rumschus Soloveitchik's father. At least one of my brothers, maybe even two, are studying at the Womishra Soloveitchik or did. I, I I was often encouraged to you know all those things that all those big, yeah. So even though like we didn't consider ourselves brisk, but we were surrounded enough by brisk, and I was told to you know the message from the surrounding was to look up to them and and like follow many of their things. So that's
0: it. Brisk style or, or brisk adjacent or whatever, yeah.
1: That's why I said brisk oriented or brisk. There you go, there you go. So, but yeah, very stringent, very also black and white, not only in the color of the of the outfit of the, <laughs> of the uniforms.
0: And so you said at some point you wanted to leave or something, what, what where did this come from? Or what were you thinking, you know, why did you want to leave or, or were, were you happy growing up? Were, was everything okay? What was that like?
1: Well, we can we, that's gonna be a whether if I was happy growing up or if everything was okay is a conversation between me and my therapist. Yeah. <laughs> but I will start with the, with an important phrase that I often use. I am I'm sure you're eventually gonna get it. I don't remember the trap for it, but it's I'm gonna translate Maybe it's a Basically I I hereby give you before you today. Choice. I give, I'm giving you choice. God is giving us choice. Mm-hmm. That's what I was taught.
0: God is pro-choice. We know this.
1: God is pro-choice. The question mm-hmm. is, what kind of choice? <laughs> but but the punchline is, It's a mitzvah to choose life. And of course, growing up, life was was a metaphor for mitzvahs. So right. if you don't do mitzvahs. You don't, don't do that. And plus, we also we were also taught that before Mamar the Sinai, you see, this is getting a lot of um. This is like a sheer, Yeah. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So, but this is the kind of information I was exposed to when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I was mostly exposed to religious texts. And I was taught that before, remember Sinai, before God gave the Jews, the Hebrews, really, the Israelites.
0: The, the Torah Harshi, uh, on Mount Sinai. Sinai.
1: God picked up Mount Sinai, like a bow, and said, if you accept the Torah, good, or else, you're all gonna be buried here.
0: I and then there's
1: said, national the... which I told you too. Yes. And then they all said, we will do and we will then listen. And, and and we were told growing up that, you know, that was like, this is amazing. The Jews are accepting before we even know what it is. We're just promising to take on all the mitzvahs before we do. But then it's like, what kind of choice is that? What kind of choice is that? Right. If you, what kind of choice is it? If the other choice is death. So, of right. course, if the other choice is death, everyone wants to die. But I was a child. We can get into it separately. But the thought of suicide has crossed my mind many times since at least I was 15 years old. And that wasn't the only thought that I had. but. It was already in my brain and I've been thinking about it a lot. So when I'm faced with the, you know, you have this choice of good and bad, both in the evil, and then you have the choice of life and death, even both on the metaphor and literal way, I already know what good is. I'm doing, you know, air quotes. I, I, I know what the, this tyrant life is. I know what this good thing is. What is this bad thing that you keep telling me about the fryer Velt, about this outside world? You keep telling me it's bad and it's death. What is it? I want to know what it is. What are my options? Yeah. I want to know what you, how, what am I choosing? I have hmm. never chosen this. I, I just was born into this. And that's what I was told to go. And I didn't even have a choice of changing a, a different school, you know? So I wanted to try different things. And I was, I had a rebellion. rebellion I still do. I, I went to different to a softer level. I still have a rebellious streak to me. i always always rebellious. And I was always challenged by the authority around me. And I was really curious to see what's going on outside. And I had this desire and it's always in there. So also there was another question I had. It said uh, I said One who wants to get purified, is gets helped. It's like a passive sense. One who wants to get dirty, you know, the opposite of purified, impurified, the door is opened. And I was like, I don't see that door. Where is that door? Where is door? this door? Yeah. Like, okay, you opened, but I don't see anything open. But eventually I did found that opening and, and I left. As soon as I found that opening and I felt whatever it was, and I just almost looking for air, gasping for air. I just the first thing I could do, the first job I could get in, in outside of yeshiva, outside of religious community.
0: So, how old were you then? This was in, in still in Israel, right? I was still in Israel in Jerusalem, nineteen years old.
1: Mm-hmm. The story was that I had um, I had a cell phone, mm-hmm. and and I wasn't allowed. That's to have already a cell
0: big no no. You're right.
1: A big no no. It was a Nokia 3, 3100. <laughs> yeah. and, and I wanted to be because I had classmates who who were getting jobs like on weekends cleaning shuls in the neighborhood or. Or cleaning people's houses in the neighborhood, but they would advertise themselves with the public phone of the issue. Mm. And then, like, you know, hey, can I speak to so and so? Wait, let me say let me call him let me look for him in the room. And then five minutes later, the person is not even there. Like Mm. how you need a reliable list. So I wanted to have my own phone. So when people call me for jobs, I have my own independence. And at that time I didn't care to be kicked out for either working or for having a phone. I just did the easiest way. And sure enough, I had a cell phone. And everybody around me was like, why don't you hide your phone? Everybody was, it was busy hiding and, and I was like, I don't care. If they find me, I'll, I'll I'll they'll fire me and I'll get well they kick me out of yeshiva, I'll go to work and work right. as well. As a Shiva is a big no no because if you work you automatically get to the, get sent to the army. The mm-hmm. way the, the, the deferment of the army goes is that twice a year as long have, as you're in yeshiva. You're still in yeshiva. But if you're not in yeshiva, you go to the army and then the whole your whole family gets implicated because everybody shivuch is in the line and everything. And I didn't care. I just Got so bored in yeshiva. I didn't. It wasn't interested anymore in studying, and I wasn't interested. I was. I found myself sleeping in my room till late, and then reading the newspapers and chatting with my friends. And I didn't do any studying except when I was forced to. So hmm. my phone was more interesting to me. And then one day I was caught with my phone. Oh. And before my like you know, somebody knocked on the doors to send us a myrev. If I got to lock my door, shkiach comes in, sees me playing with my phone, it. gave give it to me on the spot. I froze and I gave him my phone. And I had to decide, I had like twenty minutes, half an hour until after my earth, till to see, decide what I'm gonna do next. And I decided to most people in my situation would beg to get the phone back and promise you not to do right.
0: I'm not gonna do this ever again.
1: Or keep it keep it at home and whatever. Right. Then you lie and expect it of me. Right. They expect that to happen. But in my mind and then following half hour, I made up my mind. Um this is my last thing Yeshua. Wow. So I went upstairs after my earth, and I went to, walked into the Yeshiva's uh, room and I'm like, look, I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. I'm not for this. I'm just going to, I don't want to be a student in the Shishiva anymore. I, you know, I'm not allowed to, I Shubuch is not allowed to have a phone. I'm, I'm not a Shubuch anymore. I would like to have my phone back. But you. is yeah. my phone. This Shiva is, is, is in Beitar, outside of Jerusalem, like a half an hour, hour drive outside of Jerusalem. And the Mejginach lives in Jerusalem. My family lives in Jerusalem. And she also lives in Jerusalem. But... We're in Midar and by the time I get up to speak to the Yeshiva, the Mashgah is already on his way back. And he with my phone. Mm-hmm. So um, but I so I'm asking him I think it was two or three favors. Number one, please call my father and tell him that I'm kicked out because I don't have the guts to tell him that. Number two, please keep me registered in the Yeshiva So I can go to work. Right? Ah,
0: it's like, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Because because they get money for they get money from the government for people for students. So it's a win-win mm-hmm. situation. I get out right. of there already. You still you can you get me, your money from the government. You get your extra money and, and it's, a, it's a trade-off and then I want my phone my phone back. Right. And he's like, Okay, look, I, if you don't want to be here anymore, I'm not gonna hold you against your will, you're free to go. But I don't have the phone, you're gonna to have to ask for so and so to go home to go to to get your phone back from them from him. Maj is a supervisor, Mesh-gir is like a principal. Um and I was nineteen years old and I packed my stuff and I took the I you know the first bus I could get on to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem I have to first stop to the Mishker's house to pick, to pick up, up my phone. phone. I go in there and he's he's not home. He's gonna be back in half an hour. So I walk over to the supermarket that I had worked at during some breaks, like it was they needed extra work and I'm like, this is a Thursday night. So can I work for you full time? And the person's like, Can you start tonight? I'm like, no, I still have to do some stuff. Okay, Saturday night, Mr. Chavez, you can you you start you you started work on Saturday night. I walked back to the Meshkeach's house. And he was ready, he's, he wasn't aware that I'm walking away. He thought that he was still expecting an apology and a Picking promise back. that I'm going to do it again. Yeah. And he also wanted to get information of, of my classmates whose phone numbers he can't right? he was snooping around my phone. And I'm like, I want my phone back. And he's like, oh. I'm like, I'm not a student, a show student anymore. And he's, he tried to negotiate with me. And I'm like, I want my phone back. Give me my damn phone back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you anything about those people all well, you know they, they use those phones only you, when look at you yeah yeah some yeah. chutzpah a chutzpah i'm i'm a future lawyer at the time i guess yeah
0: yeah
1: yeah that's that very that lead anyways right. and i'm like look i already have a job i don't need your this just give me my phone let me go and i so so it happened and then i got home by the time i got home my father got a phone call he went on a walk with my father and my father was trying to he's like okay we're gonna find you some havrusta to study with and I looked at him in yiddish and I said I'm mean, like, I'm going to start working. And he's, he try, still tried to convince me with his, his, mm. his study partner. His, how was the thing? And I'm like, ich nicht. Ich I'm, yeah. to start working. I'm, I'm not, not asking. asking, I'm telling you, yeah. I'm telling you, I'm going to stop. And that's it. A, a week later, I moved out of my parents' house I, because I, I worked overnight, so I couldn't sleep with my parents in the afternoon because I have a lot of young siblings and it's a lot of noise and whatever. And I moved into somewhere else and then I was in my own way. So for about a year, I did that. Like when I was 20 years old, Somebody's like, why don't you go to America? You're an American citizen. You might appreciate it there more than here. And I was on my way to actually joining the military at the time. I started doing some physical tests and whatever, and I decided, and I was like, you know, what? let me check out this whole New York thing. It's a foreign thing to me. I've never heard of them before. I spoke very little English. I understood a little bit of English, but I barely knew the, the alphabet. Like I could sign my name in mm. capital letters. And I get to the United States in May of 2007, and the whole world was open for me. Yeah. So for the first ten months, I, I um, stayed with my grandparents, and when they, they live in New York. They live in Borough Park, actually.
0: Oh, really? My parents
1: grew up in in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I kind of walked back. I still like I, I went back to, to doing some, to keeping some mitzvahs a little bit, to keeping some whatever, and until I got acclimated to New York, and then I started taking GD classes, I GD tutors, and whatever. Next year in two thousand eight I got my GED classes. I joined Footsteps of course and they helped me with Twitter right. and, and guidance and everything. And did you have a did you have a plan or a goal in mind or you were just So I'm gonna answer a, or in a roundabout way. Mm-hmm. I sometimes like to be a smart ass, a wise ass sometimes. And now you're a lawyer,
0: so you're allowed li- you have a you have a license to be.
1: Of course. I'm allowed to. Yes. But even as a child I would have that. And sometimes if somebody would ask me, maybe somebody would see me walk somewhere, I'd be like, Where are you going to? And then I would like a smart ass, I would say to here, to, mm-hmm. like where my next step is going to be. Maybe. Yeah. And then right. I would point right my you. Right foot. My next step, I'm here, and to here, and to here. And on a literal way, that's very true, right? I don't know, because maybe you're going to tell me that I won the lottery and then I'm going to take a turn. Maybe there's something, in it, you know, maybe you're going to change your mind. I don't know where my
0: end, is. I know that I want to go to. Estimation. And you didn't ask where I'm heading. You said, where am I going? I'm going exactly. next step in front of me. So so that metaphor, I have applied that in life too. So.
1: I know I want to be out of here, from mm-hmm. world. I don't know what's going on in the outside world. I need to be out of here. My first step is towards the exit. Right. My first step out of the exit is to figure out what, what my options are, and that's exactly how it was in a very simplified way.
0: It's, it's funny you say that because it makes me. It makes <clears> me think of my own. I hate this word, but journey. You know, journey I, is a beautiful word. Why do you hate it? Cause it's overused it's so it, it's been ruined by from overuse but because many people walk on the them i the, know i know but you know when i left i had no plan but i was just so miserable i had to get out i didn't know where i was going i was it got to the point where in my mind what i had was worse than the fear of the unknown so i'm gonna go for the unknown that's what it was anyways yes yeah, So. The,
1: yeah. So you try. You, you you That's that's another version of the lesser of two evils. Right.
0: Right. I was weighing my. You know. Here here I'm very unhappy. Over there I have no idea what to expect. It's very scary. But I'm so unhappy. I'm willing to take this risk.
1: There's actually a, a phrase I keep using, and I keep going back to, by a poet named um, Anais Nin, and the day came when the risk of remaining tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom.
0: There you go. Yeah.
1: But basically, the point is, and I use was, I, I was it both in the context of going into the trans, on, on the OTD journey, but also on the transgender journey. Mm-hmm. Um, when people ask, "Why did you wait so long?" and whatever, all that kind of stuff, we can we can get back to it soon. The, the day came when the risk to remain tight in the bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we know that we know that with that feeling. All right. So that's, you come to America. You're getting your GD. You, you're a footsteps member. They're helping you out. Go on. Then I started well. going to community college.
1: First exposure to structured secular studies, GD was basically like the catch-up, like a, a, you know, a nutshell catch-up.
0: It's very, very minimum, basic,
1: minimal, but but like a, a glance. Right, right. But I, I got a good enough grade to be able to pass it the first time. But then I started community college. I took college courses. I took remedial courses. I took I, my English improved by the day, every day. To this day, it's still improving. Mm-hmm. And then I graduated community college. And I then continued to go to Brooklyn College. And the first one was BMCC, Barb Manhattan Community College. Um, Then I went to four-year college. And I got my bachelor's degree in in linguistics and political science. And I was already, like, started thinking about between linguistics and law and politics and stuff like that. You know, politics, law was the same in my mind in that sense. And after law, so when I was in college, I started taking, like, pre-law programs. And I Looked into taking the LSAT, et cetera, et cetera. What was
0: it? What drew you to law?
1: So what drew me to law? I, I, when people would ask what my hobbies are, I used to say I love languages and I love to argue. And I couldn't find out a third one.
0: <laughs> one of my early favorite memories with you was being at Cholent. And I forget his name, but that guy with the crazy <laughs> bumper stickers. How your freedom? Actually, Freeman and we used to argue and debate with him about I don't even remember about Torah and Tanakh and and God and Yagad, God and God and all that kind of stuff. So that was the you know so yeah you were you you know we we were debate buddies with him and with other people and then of course online but yeah you you've always been that guy or I just were then you know. I was the guy yes I was
1: a guy so it's okay we can talk about that so I, I, he wasn't the only person I argued with but also my so like this rebellious thing was always like Efshefakert Right, other right. right? Like maybe some, you maybe know. Not. That, I was actually, you know, and I was raised in that environment, and that became my intuition. And that, and so whenever I also like to, like I, I, remember when I had this this one job that I had as a in supermarket. My boss one day called me and um, um can you help me please with something? And I said no. Uh, how can I help you? Like, I just mm-hmm. needed to have that counter. I just needed to say no. I just needed to be the rebel. Your your, your first response can't be yes, sure. Exactly. But but I do want to work. I do want to do the work. I do want to... I'd be happy to... I, I came here to work. I, I but
0: first, I have to assert my... Rebellious streak. Right, exactly. Yeah.
1: So I did have this thing where whenever somebody would say, I would think about a counter argument, a counter this, but maybe not. What if not? And then I would always... That's what I always ended up to. Uh, and I, it dawned on me that you know, lawyers do that kind of thing. And, you know, you need that kind of argument for that. So and between that and I just love the, the subjects, I took some uh, intro to law classes. I took some constitutional law classes in undergrad. I've become a fan of or, or Ruth Bader Ginsburg then, not, not you know, not when. when,
0: when now when it's de rigueur, now it's cool. Now everybody's a fan. Now it's become hip. Bandwagon, yeah. Now my middle name is Ruth. Oh nice!
1: Yes. So uh, my full name is Penina Ruth Gold, but we're jumping the gun here. Anyways, exactly. So that between that and other, you know, other like talking to lawyers, and I, I went to a class. I went once to a courtroom to see, to observe, and
0: I, I was fascinated with it,
1: and I thought it was
0: something that I'm interested in. I'm wondering. I have a question. I have heard it said that Yeshiva Bacharim, have an advantage in law school. I, 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 from your face already, I know you've heard this question. That that supposedly from studying Gemara, it's a sort of, it's a quasi law school. It prepares you. It teaches you how to think. Is that is there any truth to that? There is some truth to it. I mean, to some
1: extent, you and I, those of us who studied Talmud, study law, not contemporary law, law from two plus thousand years ago, right? But. Uh, it's the law and some of the concepts of processing law, how law operates. We were taught at a young age, right, when you have a halacha and it's potter and then you have a hector and you have all those things. And sometimes you have spurs, a hand and a hair, right, this direction, that direction. There is some sort of principles of law. So the, the halacha uses principles of law and some of the structure, there is a lot of parallel between modern contemporary law at mm. states and around the world today and 2,000 years ago. However, in some ways, the following is, is clear to whoever wants to listen, maybe, because in some ways, it messes you up. Okay. Because there's certain principles that Talmud t- the Talmudic teaching teaches you, and that don't apply to law. One major one, for example, is that we live in a contemporary law that amendments and new laws are introduced every day.
0: Mm-hmm. Over oh, right.
1: there, a is an answer. Right. I mean, so the Zeroshave, on the one hand, so yeah, just because it says one word here, and therefore it, it, and it has one meaning, and therefore when it says here, it has less meaning, is also true. To some extent, that's true in modern, More. in contemporary law as well, but sometimes you cannot use that, and you have to know how to navigate it. To be able
0: you need to, to make a judgment, yeah, yeah.
1: And, and also, yeah, exactly, and also you're allowed to innovate. In modern law, you're allowed to innovate in whatever way the system allows you, quote-unquote, but thing is also, again, in the world and in, in, in the religious world, they do run innovate. You just don't call it innovation. Of course. All the stuff about Shabbos and all the stuff about whatever, it's like you, you find loopholes. Erov is a loophole, but they wouldn't acknowledge that it's a loophole. And even saying that it's a loophole is heresy.
0: Right, right. Of course. Like, what do you mean? Mishalem made Erov them? Like, that's not a loophole. It's direct. It's what's it called? It's Allah Halamash Messina. You know, if it's not on paper, somebody told somebody, you know, it, yeah, of course, it's not a loophole. God, we don't, we, we're not here tricking God. Come on, that's silly. But so to some extent, it did help me to some extent,
1: but it's still interesting enough. When I was a child, I was very disinterested in a lot of my studies, and I got very bad grades because I didn't really care. They, they never like made it a point of homework. There was no homework, mm-hmm. it was just whatever I was told, and I had to repeat it to my father. And there was one, there was one subject I, I, I got good grades at. That was halacha.
0: Really? I
1: observed behaviors, and I was told, you can't do this. This is an exception. You're allowed to do this. In Shabbos, you're allowed to do this. And those, I got 90s. In other stuff, I got 20s and 30s. That's And, and people kept telling me, people kept, and there was the basic math, arithmetic. I got good grades, too. And like, they saw that I was smart, and they kept telling me, I'm smart, I'm smart, I'm smart. But couldn't understand how I'm getting such bad grades in, in Talmud and, and other stuff that relates to that. And I just didn't care. I just didn't right. invest. I just didn't put my, and they kept trying to encourage me to put my head in it. and I didn't care. But halacha was something I, I was good at. So that's that was a so story. Like stuck.
0: It's funny. It's interesting because it's, when I was in the army, they tell you, they, they you know, the, when you're learning how to use weapons, right? They always said, the country boys show up and they've been shooting their entire life. They've gone hunting and this and that. And they they have all these bad habits. The city boys show up. They've never seen a gun in their life. And they don't have to unlearn all these bad habits. So it's easier to train the city boys than it is the country kids who've been shooting since they were seven, you know?
1: Yes, that's an interesting parallel. And I actually, I use that same idea when people say practice makes makes perfect. The question is what you pra- practice. Has if you practice the something right good, kind of practice, you, you practice makes worse. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. So same concept, same similar parallels, similar ideas. So there is some truth to it. There is some, like I was trained in a sense to, to think in, in, in abstract ideas of like, what if there was a law? How it would it apply to the other side? How can I counter such an argument? Like those kinds of concepts I, existed and that helped, was helpful. I actually had classmates who were Shiva or former yeshiva or, or actually Kuala Lingalite who were
0: mm-hmm.
1: people who went to college, who were my classmates and, and some of them dismissed my, some of my criticisms. Some of them couldn't understand me and we still had some kind of, you know, affinities and friendships and whatever. Anyways, I went to law school at my Juris Doctor degree. During law school, I have learned to refine my arguments. And also we find when I choose, you know, which battles do I want to, which proverbial hills do I want to die on? Which right, battles yes. do I want to choose, right? Choose your battles. I, I, just because I can argue with you, doesn't mean I want to spend my like, next 10 to. minutes arguing with you. Right, right. Another thing, for example, that's different between just arguing with a, somebody at talent versus <laughs> law school trained arguing is, so in the real world, right, who goes to court? People who have disagreements and can't resolve it, right? Mm-hmm you owe me money, I don't owe you money, whatever the situation we, we, or sometimes it's criminal too, but not necessarily. But even criminal, there is disagreement between what the government wants you to do and what you want to do, right? Sure. And then, so somebody has to decide for you. And then your lawyer needs to argue in your favor and the other side, the lawyer argues in their favor. But the thing is that, that they're not arguing with each other. They are arguing with each other in the sense that they disagree with each other and sometimes and they have to argue with each other to get here. But when they're presenting in court, their audience is not the other side. The audience is a third party, the judge, the the jury, the justice. And then the argument is completely different. Because instead of trying to to go into your brain and try to understand which best argument will will change your mind, like what are your values, what kind of arguments work best on you, I have to go to a third party. How do I present my side best on how a third party who doesn't never heard of you, never heard of me, is going to buy my argument, going to buy my... How
0: they're going to hear it. Yeah. How
1: they're going to hear me. And that shapes your whole list differently.
0: Now, I've always wondered this about law in general or legal representation. So picture, let's give you a crazy example, O.J. Simpson, right? Legally, does his lawyer, you know, when it says you have a right to legal counsel or whatever the wording is, right, by law... Miranda rights? Not necessarily Miranda, but the point of a lawyer is... To get his client off no matter what, or to try to use, you know, within the law, soften the punishment as much as possible. Meaning, we know you can't, you're not supposed to tell your lawyer, yeah, I killed a guy, because then he can't represent you, right? No. But if the lawyer, no, 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 no. No. Let's say I killed someone, right? And my lawyer thinks, he thinks I actually did. Is he legally obligated to try and lie for me? or not explicitly lie, but try to make me get out of being punished, or he just says he didn't mean it, he was pissed off, he was having a bad day. I'm not explaining myself right, but I'm I'm wondering if he's supposed to lie for you or he's supposed to minimize the damage.
1: Yes, yes, and yes. But obviously, because you're not presenting an actual situation, it's difficult to answer directly, but I'll go around it. So a lawyer's job is to represent their client's interest in the best way. Many clients are forthcoming. Many, you want to talk about criminal matters because that's not the only matter, but that's one of the most serious ones, the more consequential ones. In a criminal matter, people sometimes people come forward and say, look, I did it wrong. It was my mistake. I'm willing to face a punishment or, or whatever. You still are going to benefit from having a lawyer present you for several reasons. But there are several layers, like the criminal system works that it's, you know, you can't answer one answer. So let's start off with one thing. Depending on what your interests are, the learning needs to represent that the next level is to do to be treated fairly right right and because Godwin's law always wins hypothetically speaking if we mm-hmm. were to arrest Hitler today mm-hmm. you know we found Hitler here in the United States we're gonna arrest him for whatever crimes he had you and I that's the theoretical idea you and I you as a society our society mm-hmm. right will benefit from giving Hitler all the constitutional protections I'm using Hitler just to, pick to make the, a point to right get, yeah yeah Hitler is a replacement for a bad person that everybody agrees
0: deserves to be punished. Like, everybody accepts new, except neo-Nazis, that's a different conversation. Right, so 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 to use that example, let's say, so if you were Hitler's lawyer, could you go to the judge and say, let's say, plead insanity, even though you know and I know and he knows, everybody in here knows he's not insane, as an example.
1: Let's get to that, let's get to that. Right, First, right. let's get to the basics and then we'll get to that. We'll get to that, okay? Mm-hmm. So our system is better served, when the worst people get a fair chance at, at presenting evidence and, uh, you know, as having the government present, have the burden of proof, et cetera, et cetera, all of those things, all the constitutional protections, fair jury, fair this, fair that. You can't just say, oh, because you're a bad guy, you're going to, you, you know, you deserve the worst because right. we're going to get back to your question, because the thought behind it is what's going to stop the government from calling you a Hitler? Again, Hitler equals course, Hitler. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that, that's the idea behind it. So you want to make sure. You, as a lawyer, in such a situation, your job is to make sure that your client's constitutional rights are protected. That's one thing. So even if the person is accused of a serious murder, and maybe he did do it, or maybe a person murdered somebody, we all know, but should he be accused of three murders? Right? That's right. It's not fair. Right. Or if somebody injures somebody and he's accused of murder, maybe it's not fair. Maybe it was self-defense. Whatever chances of presenting that, that's one thing. Now, so lawyers do have a, a bad rap in the world in, in society as, as liars that we mm-hmm. lie for our clients.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some lawyers do lie, and I'm not going to speak for them, hashtag not all lawyers, but <laughs> sometimes, sometimes there is a nuance and, and lay people will miss it. If you say you didn't do it, you testify that you didn't do it. So wait, hold on. If I know that you did it, if, if I care enough about... You as a lawyer. Yeah, I'm the, I am a lawyer. Right, he, right, and right. you as the client,
0: right? In this example, yeah, yeah, yeah. Professional
1: ethics prohibit me from lying, especially in court. If I know for something, for the fact that it's a lie, I'm not allowed to say it. So sometimes I would ask you, don't tell me that you did it. Talk to me about the situation. But even then, if you say you didn't do it, you testify that you didn't do it. Somebody said that he, they saw that you didn't do it. Or whatever the fact is, I can come into court and say, so-and-so said... That, that they didn't do it and that this evidence proves that the person didn't do it i didn't say that i didn't say a lie i presented my client's argument this is my client's argument that because so and so there that kind of thing proves or is is, is you know proves that so- and-so did not do it or did this and not that etc et etc cetera, etc cetera, et cetera. so oftentimes it's important to notice those this and some lawyers do lie and I
0: can't, I'm not going to defend those. People. Right. No, I was just curious about the philosophy, the, the what the law is and what, you know, what you're expected and what you can and can't do. And then the next level is punishment.
1: Also, again, the criminal system, that's the last stage of the criminal system before appeals is, you know, just because you did something doesn't mean that you deserve to get the book thrown at you. You deserve to get something fair. So obviously everybody wants to, everybody, most people would like, oh, you know, it's fair for me to have two, two days instead of two years. Right. Right. But so so your job is to advocate and, you, and, and bring all the good reasons, show the good sides of, of every client, how he's been remorseful or not. how He has family and children and illnesses and why it should be fair to give less than whatever the other side is asking for. And, right. and, and again, the idea behind I acknowledge that our system isn't just the so-called justice system is far from being just, right. But theoretically, that's that's how it functions. That, that's, that's how it. That's like the idea behind it. That's how it functions, and we should fix it to the extent that it's working. But we need to acknowledge those things. And then you also have a, you also have appellate lawyers, lawyers who are dealing with fixing so called constitutional decisions. decisions because yeah. because because everybody involved are human. You're trying to to fix, and sometimes people get exonerated and whatever.
0: whatever. So yeah. So what did you specialize in, in 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 law school? What was what was your area of uh, interest or expertise?
1: So when I started law school, I did not have any specific attention in mind. I just wanted—I to, I, I went in with an open mind. I, I was one of those people who just wanted to see my options. And I also—I I know what I wanted to. I wanted, i know that I want to go to law school. I don't know—I do, don't know—I don't know what I'm going to do afterwards. So my next step is going to law school. First semester of law school, second semester, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera. So I, at first, I thought I was going to be either constitutional law, maybe criminal law, maybe family law. Family law only came up later, and then I eventually started getting into family law. So there are options of specialties in law school, but generally speaking, law schools in the United States don't have like majors. Mm -hmm. Like in in law school I went to, Brooklyn Law School, has like certificates where like you know it's like it's almost the equivalent of a major or concentration, where if you take enough classes in a certain subject, you can get a certificate of that thing, but it's only a limited number. But they also have a lot of variety of of clinics where you can have like real life experiences.
0: You can focus on a certain thing.
1: Exactly. So I tried different things. But also while I was there, one day, uh, uh, so I signed up to be a, a volunteer with Footsteps to accompany people who, who have, who are going to court. And oftentimes, court, right. oftentimes the, the situation with people going to court is in family or matrimonial courts fighting with, uh, with their exes or future exes over for custody and such. And I was asked to go to accompany somebody as a just a companion just to be there for moral support and and just be there for that person without. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doing it, just, just being present.
0: Right, they yeah. do that regularly. I went with, well, I've been with a few people, not even, it doesn't, you know, not necessarily a law student, right? there for moral support or whatever. But
1: I, because I was interested in it, I, I was more
0: More just, so, right, yeah.
1: Especially because those courts are literally next door to my school. Mm-hmm. So I went, went to such a case and I actually went to a couple of it, but then I, there was one specific case that I followed almost literally the entire case. I, I, the decision was a half a year ago, maybe the final decision that, you know, it took mm-hmm. all those years for trials and whatever. Between 2014 and 2019, right? Like so long it has been wow. the, the beginning of the case. And, uh, you know, that's like typical. And anyways, because I saw how people who have left the community, so-called OTD people, who have to fight the religious spouse in court, and oftentimes how their OTD situation is used as an excuse to take children away from them. So, right. but it's not, it's done in roundabout ways because courts officially, before getting into, you know, certain kinds of famous cases recently, but just you and I know, and people who go through all these processes, it's a destabilizing process. It's a journey. Right. It's, right. You yes. know, you have to rethink your whole identity. You have to get used to new society. You have to like literally start life from scratch, almost as if you, you're like an immigrant in your own country, but you still have right. an immigrant in a
0: new culture. You're starting over from scratch. Everything is up for grabs and you're restarting. Everything is up for grabs.
1: And that's a destabilizing event
0: in life. And ideally, mm-hmm. you would have a good support
1: environment, but oftentimes we don't because it's a new world for us. And then when yeah. when, when you threaten losing your children, it can make you even worse. And makes then everything worse. the other side, that has more
0: resources and more support,
1: and, and you know, and by resources, they can have easy you know, fundraisers whenever they need to. to they have money, they, they
0: have a community, they have family, they have everybody there holding their hand and helping.
1: And each of those things reinforces the other. It's not like it's just these And usually the person who lives in the, the community Lacks all of those things, and the lack of all of those things contributes to each other. And And they look at this person, the person has a breakout, you know, because they're dealing with this kind of, of instability, which also includes their family association and pressure and threat of losing children. And, and the person has a breakdown, and they're like, Look, this person is not suitable it's to
0: be a parent. One. Right.
1: And then they take away the, the, the child from his parents for a month until we figure shit out.
0: And then the cycle continues. Right, it's a self-feeding loop, you know, where it makes everything worse. Self-feeding loop and self-fulfilling prophecy,
1: when they say, oh, when you go out, you're gonna lose your children because look at all those people, without saying they are losing it because of all the stuff that's happening.
0: Because of what you're doing to them, right.
1: So seeing that firsthand made me want to get into this field and represent the OTD parent and basically show the narrative in a better way. And because I understand the process of going OTD and now I'm a lawyer, I would be able. the idea was that I would be able to be able to advocate for, for such people. And I, obviously I'm not, I don't represent only OTT people because you know, Maybe boring or too much. So,
0: or hopefully, there's not enough business. There's not enough of them being dragged into court. You know. I mean, that- I don't know.
1: I don't know yet. I, whatever. But the point is that I, I don't know how much. There, but the point is that. So, so I still, I still have. So this is what I. This is the area I want to get into. I still haven't gotten into because I've taken a break from, in my life and I've, I'm not in a rush because I have my own income. So I'm taking my time. But eventually, that's my long-term goal: to be able to to be the quote-unquote OT lawyer. To do
0: that's the great. Sorry. That's, what, that, that's great. Oh, anyway, let's finish
1: the story. Let's finish the story. Yeah. And then we can back to talking about other yeah. things. I got mm-hmm. to the 2017, passed the bar exam for five years later, became a lawyer in March 2018. And then I've been a lawyer since. And I've been, I've been volunteering as a lawyer. I've been, you know, in different capacities. I've been, you
0: know, whatever. So, involved in that area. Yes. Yes. So, in the meantime, I met you probably early 2012, I'm guessing. I think earlier. Earlier? Well, I, I only got out of the army. So here's, let me tell you my first memory of you. Tell
1: me. My first memory of you is you probably in uniform or maybe half in uniform with your wife, who I believe was one of the previous uh, episodes.
0: Mm-hmm. And Oh, no, uh, this was when I was still in the army. I yep. came back for Purim. Something like that. Which I came back right? and I was wearing my uniform for Purim. You, well, yeah, I don't know if it was on Purim. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been wearing my uniform.
1: So maybe you were wearing your uniform. Maybe it's just in my head but you yeah. definitely had, had a bald head.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. And there was a, a dropping group at Footsteps, the old previous location, 666 something.
0: Oh, I remember, yes, 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 yes. I came, I, I was on two weeks vacation and I came up to New York and we both went to a, a, a dropping group, me and my ex-wife.
1: And, right. and I was so frustrated with you. The, yeah. Because you, the whole, you, you were, because for you, you just came from the army and it was a you know, significant story for you and you were like an anomaly because you know who else, you were the only one who just came from the army you, the entire conversation, your mind was about you. And I was like, this is about all of us. And I couldn't say it, I didn't feel safe to think it, but I was just like, I was curious about who you are and what you are about. But I remember being frustrated with you, like thinking that everything is about you. I'm so
0: shocked. Me, Ari Mandel, dominating the conversation. I don't don't know who you're talking about. (laughs) Okay.
1: So that was my first impression of you.
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) Ari Mandel only thinks the world revolves
1: around him. And now I'm just walking around pretending that the world revolves around me. Just acknowledging that, so that not everybody understands
0: that. Well, now we have, since then, since then we had, we got social media so we can make, everybody can have the world revolve around them. Exactly. Exactly. It's perfect. That's wonderful. <laughs> exactly. So I got out of the army at the end of 2011. That's when I was back for real, not just on a visit. And you and I became friends. We also, I think you were early involved. I got I I recruited you to help me when I got in busy with the anti Asifa thing, right? <laughs> so so how did that come about, right? I think, I think sure it was, how it started. It was early on I it was very I think I told a story already but it, but very quickly within a few days I was overwhelmed and I needed help. So I just started grabbing friends and saying here you do this, you do this, you do that. And we got very, it was, it was, it was wild. It was, it was an exciting time. Which one was first, the ASIFA or the convention? The convention came later. Okay. First was the ASIFA. To
1: the whole room world, and by extension, the OTD world was bo- bubbling about this anti-internet ASIFA. And different elements within the so-called OTD community had different ideas about how to protest that because A, you know, you, you're continuing this ignorance, be you, why you investing all these resources—three million dollars, five million dollars—into right. banning this, but you're not addressing X, Y, Z issues within your community.
0: Other, other, yeah.
1: Some people brought up education. Some people brought up sexual abuse cover-ups, and eventually we somehow managed to to come up with one major message, and everybody was. "Quote unquote allowed to to use their own fringe messages, and then of course we had the people joining us, cave cave people who were anti. Oh my god, the cave inter- people! Yes, yeah, that was fun. So, but that's when they But I think that that the
0: message- and that's when you met my brother Ellie. Yes, yes, he, yeah. he
1: he picked me up and drove me over and whatever, right? And and that's when we became. I think isn't that the beginning of Zakat too?
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah.
1: So the major message of the anti-ASIFA, this was the internet is not a problem. I still have that shirt. Hashtag the internet is not. I a have
0: problem. it. I have it in my closet. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I don't know what happened to all the signs. I had signs somewhere, but I don't. I don't think I. I still have them, but I, I definitely still have the shirt. Yeah.
1: I, I had some signs for many years after, but at some point they had to throw them out because they you know they collected too much dirt. That it right. wasn't worth it.
0: But that was very fun. That was a good time. And you know, we, we it was like a it was like a trial by fire, you know, we were thrown into this crazy <laughs> cauldron, you know, where we had to run this crazy organization overnight, you know, it was a wild time. But then the more fun thing what came at, later on, this might have I don't remember exactly how long later, but it was a little while later, was the Aguda Convention. So Aguda, for those who don't know, is called Aguda Sisral or good of Israel, this organization, it's a big umbrella organization that you might actually know this better than me exactly what they do, but they make judgments and they put out policies and they have organizations and they're connected to schools and synagogues and all this stuff around the whole world. And our big cause at the time was you are not addressing child abuse, specifically child sexual abuse in your community.
1: And co- and even more so the cover up.
0: Right, and covering it up. and we we were trying to get them to not only acknowledge it but to do something about it and every and they would just wiggle out of any anything you know they we couldn't get them to pay attention so i had the brilliant idea of they have their annual convention right and so me with the help of a few other people we i i got a hold of their letterheads their paperwork
1: that was specific for the convention because they had specifically
0: for that year for that convention i don't remember exactly how but i had you know i had a million friends on facebook so if i put out a word i could always find somebody some insider who could leak something to me i don't remember any more details but we worked on it for a few days me and some other guys who, who were very learned we wrote this whole Thing in Hebrew with Aramaic. It was meant to sound like the authentic, like they were making an announcement that our new policy is, from now on, any kind of child abuse, you have to immediately call the call the police, which is exact opposite of what they said. Mm-hmm. So then I got you and a few other people. I, I don't remember how many. It was like maybe five of us, six, a eight,
1: uh, a car full of people. So I guess for the five people
0: piled into a car. We <laughs> drive there. It was on a Saturday night after Shabbos. We printed up boxes of these fake proclamations. And so, so you tell me from your angle, because I know how I remember, but you tell me what you, what you remember of that night. I mean, I remember going somewhere and you had a friend who printed out stuff and we had to pick up all those. My cousin had a print shop, right? So we had to go get them printed.
1: Yeah. We also hung out with, at, at somebody's friend. And I, I was a little bit, you know, I didn't know what to expect. The thing is, my grandfather was in that building, in that hotel. Yeah. my grandfather goes to the convention. Has it, it used to go. He's, he's no longer alive. He was a meshgiach at, at the at the convention. Like everybody ate has got, Everybody eats food that was certified kosher by my grandfather. Oh, yeah. and, I, and and so I'm, I I I almost jumped the gun here. So I do remember there, and then I went to the we and then we decided to go in different directions.
0: The idea at the time was to put it in the on car on cars windshield. What's that in the parking lot? Oh, right. So we we didn't know what to expect getting there. But I, I remember now, I don't know if you've seen the there's a documentary, at least one or two about these guys, these two guys called the Yes Men. The Yes Men save the world, the Yes Men this or whatever. They are these pranksters that they've done some amazing pranks like on the on. The, I'm going to get all, all these details wrong, but I think it was Exxon or Chevron one of these big oil companies had an oil spill somewhere in like South America or something and poisoned the whole town or something and people are sick to this day 40 years later and they've been spending millions of dollars and a judge ordered them to pay you have to you have to build a hospital and you have to pay these people's medical bills cuz you poisoned them right people die people are sick to this day and they're and instead of paying they're spending millions of dollars fighting this judgment right so on the i think it was the 30th anniversary or something these two guys go on they they made a website it was a whole it was a whole operation they made a website months and months before a fake chevron website or fake shell or whoever it was and they somehow tricked the bbc into thinking that they were representatives of chevron so on the 30th anniversary of this disaster the bbc calls that they booked them to do an interview, they said they're going to have a big announcement and they go on the BBC. This guy puts on his cheap suit from Sears and he said he's pretending to be a representative of Exxon or whoever they are. And he says, we've changed our mind. We see the error of our ways. We're going to give $1 billion to the victims of this disaster and we're going to take care of them. And Chevron, I keep using different company names because I forgot who it was, but, but you can easily find the story online. Their stock plummeted instantly, like within five minutes of this story happening, being on the BBC, because of this fake story. And then Chevron had to go back and say, no, that wasn't us, you know. So they embarrassed Chevron into having to backtrack. So I had that thought, that story in my mind, that at worst case scenario, we're gonna embarrass they are good or we're gonna force them into having to say, no, 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 no. We didn't mean call the police, right? So anyway, so back to your, to the story. So we drive down to the hotel. I think it was what, it was the Sheraton or the Hilton somewhere in New Jersey. And we didn't know what to expect when we get there. Right. I think at
1: the last minute we decided we're going to, we, we thought we we're going to hand it out at inside. Right. Which I think was your job.
0: And right, then- so we split up. We had two groups. We split up. Some of, some, half the group would be in the parking garage, putting one in each car in the in the windshield wiper and, uh, the other half of us would go inside into the hotel and hand them out and spread them around.
1: Because of course we know the only way that a good uh, uh, announces itself stuff is by is by dropping pieces of paper on people's cars that, who come
0: to the Right? We know that. Right. So we did this little operation. But it was fun. First of all it was fun. I saw I saw what's his name uh, um Yakov Horowitz over there and I'm trying to hide my face cuz he knows me and we're running around. I'm dropping stacks of papers here and papers there and you guys are running up and down in the in the parking garage putting stuff. Meanwhile, they had their own security there. They had Shumrim from Brooklyn or something, right? Doing security and somebody got wind that's also, also but also
1: hotel, also hotel like actual legit hotel security. Just like, it, because that's what, you know, you have a whole campus and they have to,
0: you know, secure it. So at some point they got wind, something's wrong.
1: Somebody noticed that somebody's
0: walking around the parking lot
1: and, and putting pieces of paper on every car. And by the right. way, I also, I also saw my grandfather's car in one of those cars.
0: <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> so, Yeah. So then the shumram start coming and, and, and asking, "Who are you? What are you doing?" So we quickly, you know, texted or called. We're like, "All right, a board mission. Everybody, get out, get out, get out!" So they start chasing us. We jump in the car. And we're we're racing away, and, the, and then that's the shum- it. That's and it. We got away. That's it. But also, we managed to get one. It wasn't Vsesnaya. It was one other, what similar kind of website? Because at the same time, at the same time that we were there, somebody
1: dropped a, 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 a published it online. Dropped a, 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 a electronic version of it. Right, and then some people it took them a while to get that
0: it's a, that it's a So they fell for for a little while. So that was a fun little operation. I, it was, it was, it was fun. They were smart enough, Aguda, just completely kept silent. They didn't, you know, acknowledge it because we didn't have the equivalent of the BBC. If we right, really wanted right.
1: to have like this, we'd have to do it a bit more elaborately, and and somehow pretend to be, you know, Zaybel Z- Z- or somebody else who represents Aguda to the point that we can convince like. I don't know the major news sources, the like Chevrolet News or whatever. That we are representatives of Aguda, which would be very difficult. That would be the equivalent of, right. of your BBC right. story. Right. So
0: it was fun. It was exciting. Right. It was. We got as close as we were going to get. It was fun. I, it was, I, I, and bottom line, is, it was fun
1: for us to do, and it was an interesting. It is, but also, it raised the conversation. It raised. It raised the subject.
0: Right. It got people talking.
1: Even even the few who did. It's like you know.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so then. That was before, or you were early in law school, or you were just starting in law school Oh, no,
1: so Which year was it? Do you remember? This is 2012 to 2016. A little later,
0: probably 13, 14. So I started,
1: school, I started law school in August, September of 2014, six years ago.
0: So let's get to here, to more nowadays. So tell me about the penny I, we now know. Okay. As I said, we buried the lead. Sure. I became friends with...
1: Okay. No, no. Okay. Down, down. Stop. Okay. This is a no-no. Tell me. You can't say my old name. That's a rule.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So tell me.
1: Go ahead. Call the dead name. I'm not offended by what you said, especially because we said we we're going to talk about it, and also because I'm I'm making this educational for you and for others listening. So the rule is never dead name a transgender person. Period. The only time you're mentioning somebody's name is if they insist on it, or if it really, really becomes relevant because somebody else is using it. Like, let's say somebody, and you have to explain why that, but then there's always a
0: way of, there should be a way so of- So you're referring to it. To that person. You're referring to the word, the name. If
1: I want to tell you, how did I get to my name now? I can tell you, because you know, it was it was a similar name. And if, if I if I choose to to invoke my old name, it's it's, it's my prerogative. But Got as it. far as you're concerned, that name is dead and you don't have the power of T'Chassa Mason.
0: Mm, um, nobody um, does. That we know of. Well, as much as they would like to to be, uh, I mean, you know, we there isn't.
1: We have, not found, you know, whatever. I'm just being playful.
0: So tell, tell, tell me that story. Sure, let's talk about that. What's the story? What does it mean? What does it mean to be transgender? What does it mean? Where? Is okay. it Where does it? Where does it start in your own head? When did you have these ideas? What does it feel like? What? Is, you know, tell me.
1: So just like anything else in life, there is no one way of experiencing life. So just like there is no way of experiencing life, there is no one way of being, of being transgender. Just like there's no one way of being American, there's no one way of being a soldier, there's no one way of being a 33 year old, whatever adjective you, you have, of there's no way of being a veteran, there's no one way of being any adjective that defines you because we we as human beings have adjectives and labels that define us. We can talk about labels in a, in a few minutes. I have a spiel about that too. But everybody experiences differently. And I'm going to quote the Talmud just like people's faces are different, so too are their opinions or their minds. The transgender experience as a general description is as follows but it's never exactly like that so generally so so when people are born in our society doctors look at the baby's genitals and say this baby is male this, or oh, this baby is female and sometimes even before looking you know they look at ultrasound and and you know they have all this beautiful sar- sarcasm gender reveals sometimes it becomes deadly even dangerous not to speak whatever point is in our society babies genitalia Determine their future almost literally. So mm-hmm. at birth, you officially get a birth certificate. A person, a, a baby, gets officially a birth certificate, either male or female, based on genitalia, and the person is either assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth. Not
0: A so, or B, black or white. Yeah,
1: M, M or F. Right. So yeah. this is. So we're not even getting into the fact that some there is a, a percentage, relatively small, approximately one percent of people who were who are born with either neither of those or ambiguous terms. And so in some extreme situations, which be which brought up more to society, they even perform surgeries on babies to conform to what the parents think it should be, because mm-hmm. there was something in between. And that, that's so people who are in between called, are called today intersex people, not intersexed, but intersex people. And they're off because we live in a binary world, and we're going to get back to this world, but to the word binary, but because we live in a binary world, the doctors often, sometimes even with the parents, decide that it's better quote-unquote, to, to put this child in one of the two boxes that they feel that day is more appropriate for them. They, the child is five-minute-old infant, and you're making decisions right. about its, its entire future, the reproductive future, you know. Anyways, but other than that, majority of babies are assigned either this or that. Now, that's what generally, you know, on the base level, one-on-one. But well, wait,
0: you say the parents. Wouldn't this be a medical question? Wouldn't this be something that a doctor looks at the infant? So, so okay, this is
1: again, I'm emphasizing this is like a majority, a tiny minority of cases where intersex babies are born, and the doctors are like, "Okay, this is an anomaly. There's some ambiguity here, what's happening between between the legs. And often they they tell the parents, "Look, this is a situation." And the, the parents' feelings are added to the conversation, and oftentimes the med- the medical side is persuading the parents to one way or the other, but f- parents' feelings are often involved too. But those are not my stories. I'm telling stories of other people. And Right, and, right, right. And one, if one wants to know more, there's all kinds of resources. One can Google intersex mutilation intersex, and all kinds of advocacy to end intersex mutilation, intersex infant intersex mutilation. Okay, let's put that aside. Then you have otherwise, you know, majority of people who, who are quote-unquote rightfully, but based on our genitalia, we were assigned either male or female when we were born. And oftentimes, so there is a, there's a word called, there's a sex and gender. They are intertwined and relate to each other, and we're not talking about the verb; we're talking about the noun. And on a base level, sex
0: refers to biological structure. Remember, I went to yeshiva, so you're scaring me with verbs and nouns already. So you so, and I yeah, both make it video proof. Do you want even better? Okay, yeah. so, so
1: you know, you don't know the difference between verbs and nouns.
0: I'm kidding, but I'm just saying. Make okay. this, you know, Barney style. We can
1: talk about verbs and okay. So if nouns are, are things, objects, or ideas, or you know, hypothetical things. And verbs are things that are done either by a human, by somebody else that, you know, you go, you do. So some people have sex and we can talk about that in separate conversation. That's why I'm emphasizing the noun, not the verb or, or the adjective, or the adjective, I guess. Too. So on a base level, sex refers to your physical uh, attributes. So there is primary sex characteristics, which is the genitalia you have when you were born. And then the secondary uh, sex characteristics, the kind of stuff that your body does when you go through puberty when you teenager usually, right? Early teenage and those years.
0: aren't connected or necessarily connected?
1: Yeah, very related. The two are very related. So they're related, you know, in, once you understand the function of human anatomy, the two are related. And literally, so in general speaking, again, in general terms, I, I'm generalizing for the sake of, mm-hmm. of simplifying, men, boys, men, boys who become men, go through puberty, grow beards, go facial, body hair, facial hair, their voice becomes deeper, reproductive organs, develop
0: testicles descend, Yeah.
1: Yes. And, and then most girls who turn into women go through other period pu- other purity, and then they grow breasts. They don't have other things that, you know, they don't have most of them, at least not to the extent, same extent, uh, body hair, and then other differences that happen. Now those right. two are, are directly related to each other. So those are called secondary sex characteristics. They appear secondarily. Not when you're born, room. you, you, you yes. don't see a, a baby isn't born with a beard. A baby isn't born with breasts and baby isn't born with all those things. It's it, it, but, but the thing is, the hormone in the body that produces the body hair and it produces that you it makes you have a deeper voice and as in, you know involved about you you know you know on average men are taller than women on you know on average stuff like that it relates to the growth hormone which is called
0: testosterone.
1: Testosterone. Ninety nine point nine percent of humans have testosterone in their body, but for most men, especially cis men, we can talk we can talk about this in a second. But men who were born who were assigned male at birth and still identify as men. Most of them have testosterone coming from the testicles, which is where the word comes from. And since I'm a lawyer, I'll tell you something interesting, and it relates to our OTD journey, too. It's just an aside, that
0: Simno when, you testi- when you testify, why is it called
1: testimony? Do you know?
0: I was about to say, right. So Well, well first of all, in the Bible, it says, sim- 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 no So I, I always wonder if that's a myth, but tell me, tell me. As far as I'm concerned,
1: there's a good chance that the reason it's called testimony is because it started by putting your hand next to that. At least, it, at least it's a reasonable, it might not be a conclusive, but it's uh, my last is it's, it's a
0: solid hypothesis, okay. It's a solid
1: hypothesis, yes. It's better, okay. it's stronger one than many others. It's, it's, it's stronger than far-fetched coming from Yiddish.
0: Okay, okay.
1: So, but, but for people who have testicles and who are functioning testicles, majority of the, the testosterone comes from there. So it's directly related. And people who are born with uteruses, majority of their estrogen, which is the, the primary active hormone for most women, is estrogen comes from there. All humans are born with the capacity to produce some estrogen and some testosterone. Most men tiny tiny amount of estrogen. Most women tiny amount of testosterone. And then every, there are variations with, with human, just because every human is some different.
0: Some more, some less. You're right. Yeah.
1: Because some people are tall, some people are, are have all different physical attributes. So that's so. So again, we back to sex and gender. Sex is, is the biological, physical part, and gender refers to the role we have in society, boy versus girl. So, when you have a birth certificate, you can go check your birth certificate. The word gender doesn't appear there. The word sex appears. Sex, and next to it, you would have either an M or an F. You have a driver's license, to go pick out your driver's license from your pocket. If you have one, it does not say gender, it says sex, M or F. Mm. And again, this is on the base level because it can get complicated and it can become more ambiguous. But on a basic level, sex means the physical right. attributes, and gender is, gender is a societal role man versus woman, boy versus girl etc 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 so somebody who is transgender usually there's a definition that by the american psychological association that you have to that a person who has gender dysphoria which which means having one, four of six possible feelings over an extended period of at least half a year. That's the basic, again, generalized definition for it. But the the simple version is- that's how
0: they classify you. Because that's
1: easier, because if you're dealing with clinical situations and you want to be able to deal with other stuff, it's a way of of easier dealing with it. I see it as a a guideline rather than a a strict, you know, black and white or written stone. But the idea is that people who are born assigned X at birth identify as Y at birth later on when they have a sense of it. Sometimes there are signals of it As the child is two years old and everybody tells the baby you're a boy and say no i'm a girl or vice versa sometimes five-year-old ten years old eight years old you have stories about people about people who are raised as boys and then they sneak into their mother's this and child jewelry and other types of stuff Mm -hmm. and sometimes you don't have that sometimes you have that wish inside of you every person experiences differently that's what i started off by saying that everyone has it differently oftentimes there are early signs sometimes more subtle and sometimes more expressed and Especially because in our society, we have, you know, people who are transgender, we have this message that it's not real or it's not normal or whatever. When we were raised, we as human beings, those of us who have the feelings sometimes try to suppress those feelings. And Mm -hmm. it takes a while for us, for those of us who are transgender, to eventually accept that this is who we are and then come out Mm -hmm. to ourselves first and then to the world and say, hey, I'm a woman. I'm not what you think I am. And then you have different layers of, of transition, different layers of differences because the way I look at it is the four layers. So you have the primary sex characteristics, the, literally the genitalia. Secondary sex characteristics, stuff that are noticeable in adults, in different mm-hmm. that are different genders. Those are the two sexual, the sex stuff. So then you have gender. How society treats each other. So some languages have different words for for, for different people. In English, every verb, you know, every every verb is <laughs> it, it is gender neutral. But in Hebrew, for example, right. every verb. Is Hebrew
0: or Spanish, right? Certain languages.
1: Spanish, true, but yeah, Hebrew also has it in, in verbs, and Spanish doesn't have it in verbs. Spanish, yeah. Spanish has it in adjectives and in and, 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 and objects, right? So, and then you have also how we refer to each other. Sometimes there's certain courtesies that in our society. When two men greet each other, they would they, they might. If they're friends in, in, in the Western world, if it depends on each society, they might have like a handshake. Women might be hugging each other or, or some other mixture of those two.
0: Right, cultural uh, norms. Or, cultural yeah.
1: norms. And then you also have, so that's, yes, exist because we're so we are human beings we are a social species it's difficult for us to be on our own most of us and then so then you also have how we are dressed and how we appear you know wearing a suit and tie or wearing a dress are you wearing pants so obviously pants today aren't have become gender neutral but even the types of pants of the kind of fashion, pants, right. fashion so so people could have a gender expression that is what, quote unquote, fem- femininely or mas- feminine gender expression or masculine gender expression or gender neutral sometimes, which means different things for different people. But the point is that in any given society, there are some social markers, uh, ex- external markers that signify I'm a man, I'm a woman, or there could be mixed messages too. So so that, those are the four layers, right? Mm-hmm. Genitalia, stuff that happens to you as, a, as a teenager. Puberty, how you present yourself, how the world treats you. And some people feel different, quote-unquote, right, than whatever they've been told they are on one of those four levels. Some people on two, some people on three, some people on all all four. Mm -hmm. And sometimes each of those comes in different times and goes in different times. Sometimes one suppresses again all of those layers. But I personally have found myself at some point with the realization that for a long time, I've had some kind of general dysphoria in all of those layers. And... When I finally admitted it to myself, I started doing I once I, I, I looked into it and with myself and decided to, you know, so one once and for all take care of this because it kept this these thoughts kept coming into my head. And then eventually I was like, it's time for me to, to confront myself. If this is real, I'll I'll pursue it and I'll feel better in myself. If this is not real, just stop bothering me. And right. I went into it and I realized that this is who I am. So I decided to go for it. And I again same thing as as going to OTD. I took one step at a time, small steps. I feel comfortable with this. My 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 toes are are red. Feels comfortable. To be red. Well,
0: I remember when you told me. Yeah. You know, I, I, we were driving somewhere or something. Somehow we were in the car taking I came to visit you in Muncie. We were in the car. And then we, we drove over somewhere. And yeah. you asked me. You 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 were like dancing. Or, I had no idea. I didn't see it coming. I didn't understand where you were leading me. You were asking me these leading questions. And like, you know, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? And my attitude my, my attitude then is the same as it is now. On a fundamental level, if we set aside the philosophical and the biological and all this stuff that I may or may not even understand, my feeling is it's your life, it's your business, it's your problem. It's not, if you're not hurting anyone, I don't care. Not I don't care, it's none of my business. If you're happy, if you're living your life and you're not hurting anyone, have fun, you know, what I mean? whatever, you know what I mean? And that's what I said to you then. And then you said, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm thinking. And since then, I've obviously, and we talked about it since then, and it's it's more and more commonplace, or at least in the media, you hear and see about it more. So I'm, I'm a little more understanding. But, but still, I think to me, fundamentally, it comes down to if you're not hurting anyone, it's your life, it's your body, it's your heart, it's your life, it's your business, it's not mine. It's not my business. Your choice.
1: Let's, yeah. go, let's come back to this in one second and let's get back to something I skipped over a minute ago. And so the the thing you said about, you know, the difference between this and that, the question is what's the difference between, oftentimes people confuse gender identity, which is what, you know, different gender identities. Transgender is having a different gender identity that, that is different from what you assigned at birth. And then the, what's the difference between gender identity and sexual orientation? Right. right? And the answer to that is the latter is whom do you go to sleep with? And the former is who do you go to sleep as? When you're by yourself, you're going to sleep. You say, I am. Who are you? To yourself. Nobody else is with you. You're in your own room, your own bed, your own thoughts. Who do you go to sleep as? And who do you wake up as as well? So exactly. And you're saying it, it should be your your mind, your choice. And you also write that there is a lot of media exposure about it because, you know, it's it's a, it's a positive, I, I see it as positive loop. It's becoming more acceptable so those of us who, who are in quote unquote, in the closet, have a more uh, accepting environment, and therefore it becomes more commonplace. And commonplace, again, so we're, less talking than about, a, right, we're talking yeah. about a couple of percentages of society. It's not like, You know, if you really look into it, it's just that people are feel safer coming out because the environment is becoming more accepting and respectful. And And also
0: people might, you know, I don't know, 50 years ago, some kid somewhere in Mississippi might not have understood what he's feeling. He knows something's. Wrong. Something's different, but he doesn't understand what. Now he goes and uh, you know he can and see internet, transparent said that, on I, Amazon, I, and oh, that's what it is. Yes.
1: So that too. But the thing is also there's a myth about that it didn't happen. This kind of stuff has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. There's even references to it in. in
0: it's in the Gemara. It's, yeah. it's it's ancient history. There's nothing new about this.
1: But also even recent history that there's something that people don't talk about often. We know. Okay, so Godwin law is going to yeah. win once again. Go for it. But this time, actual, literal, like actual Nazis. You and I know that Nazis burned books, right? Sure. Right. Did mm-hmm. you know that one of the one of their uh, book burning ceremonies, like the whole this, was of a what's called the sexual uh, 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 institute, sexual Wissenschaften. I'm I'm missing up the words by Magnus Hirschfeld. We had an institute. He actually operated on transgender women, and he really? published research and he published other other articles. And people came there from the whole world to deal with to to talk and and present. And it was a whole this about transgender about sexual also you know they had this
0: well they had their own just like the jews had to wear the yellow star there was a sp- I, I forget now big, what
1: was big it triangle for, for homosexuals but also in, the, in those days they, they they grouped because the idea is that i'm, I'm going from their perspective mm-hmm. men mm-hmm. are you know the, 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 there's so many ways of being a man and one of those ways is by being attracted to women if right. you're attracted to other men if you're a man, you're checking out a man. Something is wrong with you as a man. Something's wrong, right. So, you know, and vice versa, right, with women. So when you, so in, in this person, Magnus Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld, who had this, who founded this, this institute and, and, and helped early transgender women surgeries and other types of treatments, they were basically trying to help those people. And there was all kinds of research. And the Nazis literally decimated all of that. And, and all the research about the surgery that they had until then had to re- be restarted. And not to mention societal ideas, that had to be reset for another uh, couple of centuries and decades, dec- yeah. sorry decades until until we're back to where we're now. And we're still. I I think we would have been better off had Nazis not burned down those books. And and, and you think one hundred percent we would have been more advanced because we would As have. I know that yeah, of course because now the my, so so I have some experience with with transgender health and healthcare in the United States and around the world, and we're relatively speaking we're in a good stage, but it's still like individualized it's not like there is not one standard of doing things there is like certain doctors have different different methods and and people are uh, like i come to my doctor i'm like can i do this sure if you want to do it i'll give you a prescription i mean on the one hand it's good because you know it's easy to get to get the treatments you want you need but then on the other hand i have to do all the research instead of coming because usually when you have a heart attack you come to the doctor and you say you know i have these and these symptoms doctor checks and says, you know. This is a situation, this is your chances if you get this kind of surgery, it's kind of, you know, here your, here's a here's prognosis if you have this kind of, of treatment. In here, it's basically saying, I would like to have this treatment. What are my options?
0: So that's a little bit different, but yeah. I, this is a side, side uh, what do you call it? This is a peccadillo of mine. You know, when you watch TV in America, and this is specifically an American thing, you see, I see ads for medications. Ask your doctor about blah, 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 you know, this and that pill. It drives me crazy. Medicine, when you go to the doctor, the doctor is the professional. He's the one who should say, he or she should say, here. here's why I, I'm diagnosing you with X, Y, Z, and this is what you need to take for this thing. Not, oh, I saw a commercial, I want that pill. It's madness, it's, it's absolute madness, but it's just part of the whole health system in the country, which is crazy. But that's its own topic, you know, on its own.
1: 100%, 100%. So now that we've done with this, we can go to the next level. When I introduced myself, I said, hello, hello, my name is Penny, and my pronouns are they or she. Why did I not say, hello, my name is Penny, and my pronouns are she, her? The answer is, because
0: I'm a non-binary woman,
1: and now it's the turn of people's minds to explode.
0: (laughs) Just when you thought you were starting to understand, you introduced some more
1: complication. Okay, tell me. So I identify as non-binary. I'm neither fully male nor fully female. I'm somewhere in between. But I'm closer. So, so you know, if you if, if there was a mechitza, which I no longer mm-hmm. you know have any, it's, I, it's right here on
0: my desk. I have the sticker that says "Break down the mechitza."
1: So I've jumped over to the other side, even after it's broken down. Yeah. So I feel like you know proverbial, you know mm-hmm. metaphorically, I feel like I've gotten to the other side. But I still feel like I'm I'm my own kind of person, and I'm somewhere in between, especially because of certain physical characteristics, but also mental and other types of things that I feel more comfortable. So I say I'm a non-binary woman. Some people just say I'm a I'm non-binary, period. Some people say I'm a transgender woman, period. Whatever people say they are, that's what they are, especially if it relates to their identity, especially when it comes to their gender. So the idea is that, so actually, in my birth certificate, I, after I've changed it, it has an X on it. Sex, X. New York oh, City wow. allows that. Interesting. So
0: I, I, and X just represents I, any, anybody Neither F no, I, I Neither M nor F. It's either M, F, yes. or X, or there's In New York City right now,
1: and slowly more jurisdictions around the country and, and states and cities, hopefully soon enough it's going to be an option on, on, on driverless in New York. But right now it's in New York, it's in, in, in New York City, and maybe a few other towns in throughout New York that I'm not aware of. And slowly more states are, if you look it up, slowly more more and more jurisdictions are adding that option. So parents can do it for their babies. That, that, mm-hmm. So now, especially if it's somebody's who's intersex, it's easier for the doctor to say, you know, we don't know. Let's put an X to it. Or if a parent doesn't want to give wants to give the child an option of determining themselves and, and social determination, so they would also give the child an X. And an adult who wants to change the marker, the sex marker on the birth certificate has an option of putting X But I did. So after I changed my name legally to Penina Ruth Gold, which is my full legal name, I, I amended my birth certificate and changed also the the whatever it was before to, it used to be an M, now it's an X. My driver's license has an F on it. My passport has an F on it. There was a point in time mm-hmm. that my birth that my certificate said X, my driver's license said M, said F, and my passport said M. So that was like, if you're looking <laughs> for confusion, that was a perfect... Uh, this. What but right now I have XMM, XFF,
0: sorry. Now, side question. Your name Ruth, is that actually... In honor of Ruth Bader she's wow. my hero. If I would take you to my room, i have a That's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge I'm chassid of hers. Of course. When did you become one? I think, you know what it was? It was one of the movies, or the do, like CNN did a documentary in the last few years, and I was like, I, I had no idea, I had no idea. And, and and absolutely, she's one of my heroes. I saw her live actually a couple of years That's ago, nice. she, gave a, she gave a talk. So, I yeah, mean,
1: I, I, I never had a, a middle name before, and I and I decided that once I'm changing my name, I would like to have a middle name. And I started like, you know, asking my friends for ideas and thinking through what, what possible names, and I couldn't come up with one. And then somebody's like, tell me like a woman that you look up to, like you uh, respect, that you honor, that you whatever. And I'm like, was Peter Kinsberg? Like, okay, that's your answer right there. I mean, we still went back and forth, but that was in us, in us this. And so in her honor, I, my name is Penina Ruth Cole.
0: So you, you clearly, you must have thought about right. all this stuff for a while. So specifically, I know for myself, when I think about this, you know, if in my heart of hearts or in my mind... If you ask me to uh, describe myself or, 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 you know, how I see myself in my mind's eye, number 10 on the list maybe would be I'm a man. I'm Ari Mandel. I'm a this. I'm a that. I'm the other thing. I don't think, I never have thought I happen to be male. I've never doubted it, but it's not forefront on my list of attributes. You know what I mean? And if I think about culturally what it means to be a man, I don't identify with a lot of that stuff, but still, again, I come back to, I've never questioned any of the things that you're talking about, but all of the typical, which to me are laughable things that we call what a man is and what a man does, I, I don't care. And I, I'm thinking of a sports Lomushal because it's an easy uh, example, But but all of the things I wear the clothes that are comfortable and that most people that look like me wear, but not because I feel the need to wear it. You know what I mean? So what was your thought process as you were processing, as you you were thinking about all this stuff? Because a lot of it is cultural and a lot of it is either biological or emotional. So allow me to first,
1: before I answer your question, I want to announce, I accept you for who you are. You just inform me that, that you feel comfortable being a man, Thank and I you. accept you. I accept you for who you are, for how you are, for however you want to present yourself. So I support you, and your, all your cisness are I
0: Just to be clear, I'm not saying I'm I don't feel like a man or I'm worried. I am emphasizing. No, I'm emphasizing some purpose. I'm emphasizing because in my role, yeah, yeah,
1: people should never, you know, okay, so people shouldn't have to come out as trans. People should have to come out as any. Everybody should have to come out as whatever they are, but. The way one way that often people people in in, in my circles in transgender in the so-called transgender community because of course it's a loosely defined community but just like you know in our circles oftentimes if you're not questioning then you probably cis so say, so let's just use the terminology, the terminology transgender and cisgender one means that your di- that, that your gender is different than whatever you've been assigned and one means that it's the same those terms, those sub-prefixes, the, uh, trans versus cis, are also used in, in chemistry and in other types of scientificness to mean either to change or to be different, and one means to be the same. Now, oftentimes, you don't use the word cisgender mm-hmm. because it's not relevant to the conversation. But if you want to distinguish between transgender people and people who are not transgender, instead of saying people who are not transgender, you just say cisgender. That's the terminology, right? Got so okay. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, so I'm accepting you as cis. Oftentimes, one way to define cisgender as different from transgender is that cisgender people don't question their sexual their, their sorry their gender identity their their sex it's just given to them and like you said it's not even important to you it's it's but it is one of those things that you are and you're acknowledging that in society and i don't question it i don't think about it it just is and you, and you don't think that you're not right oftentimes ironically many transgender people who are still having these inside struggles and trying to accept themselves as trans oftentimes like what if i'm not what if i'm not trans what if i am this but then the thing is that people, 99% of the time, people who are not trans don't have that question, which is you contributed to anecdotally by saying I don't have that. So congratulations, you're not trans
0: that we are aware of. And <laughs> congratulations, I'm I'm one of the 99%. Good, we are the 99%, right? So, right,
1: so good right, for you. Right.
0: Like if that, yeah. the thing is that I did not have that right.
1: experience, and I always had something, but I never talked about it because I didn't want to give it. Extra, th- you know, I didn't want to give it extra power because once I talk about it, I have to address it. So I kept burying it inside, but just like a flower, there's how so much you, you keep growing, <laughs> yeah. but there's space inside. are space inside. At so some long, point, yeah. it's gonna, you're gonna, you know, the, the risk to remain tight in the bud is more painful than the risk it took to, to blossom. And then the time came for me to blossom. So that
0: does that answer your question? Well, I was just wondering. Well, clearly, so you thought about it, and eventually you couldn't bury it anymore in your in your mind, and so you had to address it and, 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 I blossomed. you know, yeah, here you are, you blossomed. So tell, talk to me about testosterone specifically. Cause it's, you know, you know, when I, I would think about these stuff and I would think, well, maybe, maybe, you know, I, I couldn't care less about sports. I say, as my son is sitting over there watching a, a basketball, right. Is there something wrong with me? No, I'm not worried about it. I don't care, but I'm, I wonder I, maybe I should ask a doctor. But we, I know just anecdotally from having read about it here and there that more or less testosterone has a big effect, a noticeable effect on people. So tell me about that. So
1: our bodies, sometimes you don't realize because they're just because most of the time when we exist inside our bodies, because we, we, we are human beings, we have a brain, and we also have a body, and that body functions and. Our bodies have needs, our bodies have, they function. There's an entire 24-7 process, that monthly um, annual processes that we go through. And we just, sometimes we're just just used to it and we don't put a lot of thought into it. We can start with a simple example of breathing. You breathe all the time, but sometimes you don't even think about it. Your heart beats all the time, you don't think about it. There's a lot of other things that's happening, so-called behind the scenes, right? Inside our invisible body parts and that we are not aware of. And one of the major things that, regulate how our body functions, how our, all, most humans' bodies functions, our hormones. It's called the, the endocrine system, exactly. Thank Endocrines. You. So endocrino- an, an endocrinologist is, is a doctor who deals with, with this system. And the endocrine system basically involves several glands throughout one's body that secrete these fluids that are called hormones. And each of those things does different types mm-hmm. of things. All in all, they control our mood, they control our sexual uh, drive, they control how hairy we are, in, in our face and the rest of our body, even our, on our head, scalp, they control how how, how where fat is distributed, distributed in our body, like which location of the body is fat distributed. It's also how smooth our skin is. It's also uh, um, again I, I said mood, hunger. Sometimes the thing that makes you hungry this hormone in your body that tells you we need to eat. We need like it's a signal to your brain. Let's eat. That's a hormone released in your body, and then all that stuff. Now, in addition to all different types of hormones that we have, there are two hormones that one of them is called um, testosterone one of them is called estrogen. And usually testosterone is often credited with being an energetic type of drug. Drug, <laughs> you see, I already jumped the gun.
0: Well, it's used when it's used or abused. Exactly. Like a drug, could be, you know, people, uh, It could be used or abused as drugs, yeah.
1: right? So transgender men, for example, oftentimes, not all of them, many times would be taking you know, testosterone because they then the, the society perceives them more as uh, as men and they see themselves physically more as men. But the point is that oftentimes it's 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 more energetic, it's more it gives you a certain type of drive. Doesn't mean that people who don't have it don't have that, but there is a certain distinct type of body movement, a pattern of that that I was able to recognize only after testosterone disappeared from my body. And it's difficult to use. I, I can easily show you around and say this is testosterone, this is not testosterone, but. So every person's body produces different amounts of it. And if you, if you want, one could take a, a, a blood test and you know it could be quantified. You
0: have so much disaster in your body, you can be- Is it, so you say a blood test, is it something that changes throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, or it's basically, this is your level? So it depends on the person. But mo- for most people, it changes throughout your life.
1: You're a child, you have very little of it. When you go through puberty, your body starts producing it more and more and more. And then generally speaking, as a, rule, you, as a rule, you have a lot of it. Certain foods and certain behaviors can add more or less to it or help you regulate it. And then eventually, when you get older, slowly your body stops producing it, it just like down. your body, stopped, you know, other parts slow down, you walk slower, you speak slower, etc., etc. et cetera. But obviously, stuff could happen to you that could affect it. People have uh, cancers, people have surgeries, people have, but also just the baseline, people's bodies are different. Like people are you shorter than me. That's a fact of, of genetics. right? And it's possible that at some point your body produced less testosterone than me, but it's very possible that now you have more than me.
0: Now, I have a theory. I have a theory. Tell me if I'm correct, and I'm sure I am. The further up your hairline is, somebody's forehead, the smarter they are. That's true, correct, right? That must be true. No? No? I, oh God, I, 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 I was thinking me, if, I want
1: to free, if I want to pretend to freeze right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's been my theory for a long time, long before I, I, I you know, gave up and started shaving my head. So, so you really want to go there? Now that I have, like, literally bangs, you're going to go with,
1: with the full uh, skinhead?
0: No, where the hair, your hairline starts. How long your hair is is not the question. It's where, how far back on your forehead. Okay, it doesn't. So well, the further
1: back behind, it's the, the smarter.
0: The further <laughs> back, the smarter. Come on, I mean everybody knows that. Which one of us has 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 a you know further? Did, did, they, know. Wait, wait, I have two
1: questions. Two two part question. Which of us has a has a lower hairline, and which of us went to law school and, and passed the bar exam on the first try?
0: <sighs> well, you got me on that. I I definitely. You know, but, we see what I'm working with here on my scalp. So so even that,
1: that is, you know, there's a thing called, again, it's a general term. It's not exactly the uh, exact description, but so-called male pattern about baldness,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: It is directly related to your body producing testosterone. It's a direct result of that. There mm-hmm. are people whose body produces testosterone, testosterone uh, uh, you know, mostly testosterone, and they still have low ha- hairline. You know, they don't have baldness. And that's because of whatever other stuff is going on in their bodies. And that's... That for us to get in, and all the stuff that we're talking about, I'm just giving you a glimpse of it. There's a lot more. Yeah, I'm giving you the generalized versions of it because I'm not a medical professional. I just have had to study it. I also experimented with, with myself on that, and it's an interesting experience having been in both
0: sides. Of so, the- t- so tell me about that. What 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 do you feel? What do you see? What 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 are the differences? So, one of the main ones, I felt a lot calmer. It's easier for me to calm down,
1: and not get angry and upset. So, when something upsets me, so there came a time. That I started taking blockers, basically they're called hormone blockers, and that are basically blocking my body from producing testosterone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you could see it; like my, I took blood tests, and I could see the numbers plummeting, go down. So also, it also made me more lethargic and like down and not as energetic. But also, whenever I did, like, I, I was less likely to get angry, or if I get angry, I was less likely to, to to take it out. I was; it's easier for me to just be like, okay, let's deal with it. Or mm-hmm. also and also gave me space to, to, to look into my feelings, which is a look whole lot yeah. that, that's associated with femininity, and it's not exclusively to, to you know to femininity, but it's easier when you don't have to, so like on a physical on a physiological level, you're right? The physiological is mm-hmm. the, the physical function of your body. The physiological there's a saying people say often: "just boys don't cry,"
0: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
1: Obviously, it's a, it's a, it's. A, I've
0: never seen me at a movie, but it, yeah, go on. they
1: have never seen you at a movie. That's amazing. We should, yeah. we should say we should say you know whatever. But as a general as a general sense, people with testosterone have a harder time crying on everything else being equal. Mm. Doesn't it does not mean that men don't cry. It Doesn't mean that people who have testosterone have, like it's an actual thing. Like, people who have testosterone. I have friends who, whose testosterone level is higher than, than than otherwise should be, and they're like, I wish I cried more, and they can't because their testosterone is stopping them. Obviously, mm. you know, there's always. Sexual situation where someone, a loved one dies and you cry and whatever. So the thing so the thing is I can at least understand when people say to kids or to adults, boys don't cry, I can understand where it comes from because it's true that general on average, men are less likely to cry. And once you make it as a standard and you have this macho thing and you up boys and you're training your next generation of boys of men which is which are boys now, right. not to cry, then it becomes in a in a hurtful in a harmful way because because you're not even letting them the little percentage of crying that their body would otherwise do to let them out because, because something is wrong with their masculinity if they're crying. So, but I can also understand where it comes from because oftentimes men are less likely to cry or people who are, whose testosterone dominates their body, less likely to cry. And if you notice, old men are, are more likely to cry, easier to right. cry yes. than young women. So also it's directly related.
0: Well, like you said, the testosterone goes down, but also I think culturally too, the stigma slowly goes away as you get older. Maybe. I think so. Yeah,
1: um, that, that I, have, I haven't gotten into that yet. So it also gives me like now I I enjoy cooking more. So obviously you know men, many men cook and many it's very possible to be a, a, a male cook. It just happens to be that for me this calmness, this you know space to focus inwardly, and that I gave myself and I finally am grateful grateful to have makes it easier for me to to just take my time and not be in a rush and prepare my food and cook and, and feel good about it.
0: That's very interesting.
1: Which brings us to, oh, maybe this brings us to another subject.
0: Well, tell me about food. You, you What do you cook? You said you like to, you, it's your newfound hobby is cooking. Tell me about it. What do you cook? My newfound hobby is cooking.
1: So also, I mean, obviously, um, COVID quarantine and stuff also contributed to to even more that I've been cooking recently more. But another thing, so we'll jump to two subjects at once, and then we'll get back to one of them later. So I just spent four months in Thailand, between March and July. I was or in Thailand.
0: Thailand, as, our, as our, our illustrious president calls it.
1: Let's not get into that. Let's <laughs> no. not get into that. No. Let's not get into that because it's its own subject, it's right? It's own five-hour subject, exactly. Yes. I mean, let's not take spelling and pronunciations from that. I actually, yet yeah, somebody was trying to even, uh, you know, somebody was trying to even justify, oh, because I was in Thailand and I met many English-speaking foreigners. None of them says Thailand. Everybody says Thailand. Variations of Thai words into English often have H's in them after P's, after K's, and after T's, and oftentimes the H's are not pronounced, they're just aspirated, but that's getting into linguistics.
0: Anybody so, who's, who's, who's older than seven knows that it's Thailand, anyways. Not
1: yeah. everybody, not everybody. I've come across people, and I've told them that, that I've been to Thailand, like, how do you pronounce that? So hmm. it's okay. And that's exactly what happened to the president, but let's not get into that. I really don't want to talk about the president, so...
0: Neither do I. Yes, go on. Anyways, it's okay <laughs>
1: if somebody wants to erase that last part. Anyways, so I was in Thailand for four months, during which time, so, so you know, people often got time to go to different countries, to try different foods, I'm vegan. and mm-hmm. so I That's ended up- new, isn't it? It's relatively new. Okay. We can talk about that. So I, I got more of an incentive to cook on my own because it was difficult for me to find restaurants that are vegan. So I just went to the grocery store, bought my own food and cooked. So, but I've noticed even before that, I, I, I've been slowly, so I've been slowly getting into this satanic cult called veganism. veganism. Uh, <laughs> sarcasm, of course. And in the past two plus years, I slowly cut out different animal products from my diet. First, there was meat, so, you know, so land, meat, meat, meat of animals Red that meat. are on land. So, like, you know, beef, pork, and chickens. I stopped eating their meats. And then after a while, I stopped eating fish. Mm-hmm. Of fish, and then after some time, I I cut out dairy like milk many years ago, even though I grew up drinking over a litter of milk. Per meal as a as a child, wow. which explains to you why how, how tall I am.
0: But anyway, that's a lot of milk. Yeah,
1: that's a lot of milk. Yes, and a lot of yeah. I I there's no your way your bones are
0: probably very healthy and strong. <laughs>
1: that's what they said. Except I have a broken uh, clavicle. Aye. But yes, other than that, fine. Anyways, and then so at some point I I cut out dairy. Oil. I I slowed down my consumption of dairy, and then um I still had some eggs, and I slowly cut it out. In, this year in 2020, I still have a couple more eggs uh, when I was in Thailand or products that have eggs in them. Once in a while, I accidentally I get, eat food that contains animal products, and I just decide to move on. I don't want to delve into it, and I just move on. But right now, my diet does not contain any animal products, maybe honey sometimes, but that's my next step.
0: So what what, what was your thought process? How, how how did that come about? So what was thought process? So let's, before we get into the thought
1: process, mm-hmm. let's go way back when. But I was a firm kid. I was 13 years old. And you know how the month between Purim and Pesach, and is, is the time that you eat most snacks and and and, and bon because you, you and just have a lot of on it and you
0: have to finish it before Pesach, right? Right, right. Right? You remember of that course. day? Of course. So, so I'm just setting the stage, right? It's like after Halloween, you have bags of candy and you have to get rid of it. You have... Except except that you have a deadline. Right. You have four weeks to get rid of it. Exactly.
1: Yeah. But it's not only candy. It's all
0: sorts everything, yeah. It's cookies
1: and wafers and... And all the sweet stuff and all your classmates gave you and and, and that, you uh, the then... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I remember one Shabbos like when I was 13 years old, somewhere between prayer and Pe- 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 Passover that I, took, that I ate a lot of chocolate, a lot of sweet stuff to the point I had a headache. And even while I was eating it, my parents were telling me, don't do that. And I was just like, you know, thought I was smarter than them. And I ate it to the point that I had a headache and I complained about it. And they're like, this... You, you warned know, you. You warned you. Now... At the same time, parallel to that, I grew up with my grandfather knowing about learning that my grandfather does not eat any artificial sugars. He does eat fruits, but none of the stuff that has artificial sugar, he does not eat that. He doesn't eat cookies, doesn't eat cakes.
0: For health reasons or kashrus or what? Health. Okay.
1: Oh, that was his. That was his one. Like he was famous for it. Sometimes he, they tried to trick him, or sometimes he would come to 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 simcha. He would come to like a, a, an event in our in our household, and we would serve everybody dessert, and he would serve a piece of cookie in uh, a cake, and he would put it in front of him, and he would just keep it there, and then he would say, you know, I enjoy looking at it, or not today, mm-hmm. or yeah. he would say, I'm just going to look at it. <laughs> so, I grew up and I grew up that I have a healthy grandfather and he doesn't eat sugar for the, for the health reasons. And here I am, a 13 year old, just ate a whole bunch of sugar and I felt physically bad about it. And I went from extreme to the other because I grew up in a holiday in and environment. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a, as healthy as my grandfather and I'm going to go from eating, I don't know how many chocolate bars and whatever I ate that day, eating to no zero. Sugar whatsoever. And that's what I started doing. And my parents were terrified. Mm-hmm. because in their mind I, I'm, I'm an active child I'm running around I need some energy i know it's need some sugar and, and i I can't survive without it that's mm. what I remember one day my father calling me and I'm like very concerned you know you can't i, I started looking up which snacks
0: what has sugar' don't have
1: up. sugars and I came up with three of them Bamba, bisley and another one that with to be so whatever they didn't have sugar on them anyways but my father's like you can't we're not gonna let you not have sugar so I decided to cut out chocolate instead. Caffeine, no chocolate, no coffee. No, And I learned that even tea too. And even at the same time, I also learned, I also learned that uh, it might be a rumor, but that caffeine stops your growth. Oh, really? And I was like, everybody's calling me tall. I want to, I don't want to stop that. I want to continue to grow. So anyways, it might have helped. It might have not helped. I don't know. But that was my thing. When people offered me chocolate, I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't need caffeine. Coffee. Sorry, I don't need caffeine. Tea. I don't need caffeine. That was my thing. And then at some point, I got. I was like, okay, enough of that. And then I stopped eating college food, like uh, artificial coloring. And over the years, as a, as a teenager, as a firm teenager, when subject came up, oh, I don't, I, 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 I am special. There's one category of food: either sugar, caffeine, or, or artificial coloring that I don't eat. And people would talk to me about it, and I would say, and I came up with a, with a very creative rationalization. I said, you know, today I'm from, and I believe in being from, and whatever, and God, and kosher, and I don't have any Nisayan, right? I don't have any test, I don't have any challenge to not eat non-kosher. To eat non-kosher, it's easy. Yeah, I would have to go out of, if I wanted to eat non-kosher. I would have to go out of my way. In most cases, I could just take a piece of
0: meat, piece milk of, meat, right? and meat,
1: yeah. which I which I did. In a separate story, but generally speaking, around us there weren't any like. Places that sell bacon that cook bacon or, or, or sausage or or right. any of that stuff it, it, it wasn't even around us it was none of the seafood was around us we weren't even aware that those things exist we just know that that guy eat those things and, and yeah. you have to go out of your way to look for it and um, so so I, my reason my, so my rationalization at the time was look today I'm allowed to eat whatever you know I don't have an insight not to eat but I'm still Preventing, I'm practicing not to eat a certain thing. So if one day I'm going to have the nissayin, I'm going to have the challenge of not eating, uh, of eating non-kosher. It's going to be easier for me to do it. That was my firm mind giving me this thing. Or right. Kaddish right? Like yeah. even though you're allowed to, let's be holier than thou. And also gave me a feeling of holier than thou. Like you know, or you think you're going to keep kosher, I'm going to keep kosher and maybe even to more. more. Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah. I have an extra category for that I can't eat. So f- f- fast forward, I, I went to TD. I tried out all, 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 but many of the, the non-kosher meats and whatever, you know, <laughs> and then and 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 now, fast forward to now, I have come to a point where I almost never eat shreif. I don't always eat kosher exclusively because sometimes, you know, if a, if a, if a non-Jew cooks my food or if a, somebody cooks my food in in you in know in in, in in a pot or something, in a pot or in dishes, or if it was. Shabbos, like you know that it's not exactly kosher, but it's not trafe in the sense that it has A piece of I, meat. I, I never, I never eat cholov stam. I never eat cholov I never eat glad kosher milk. I never eat meat that are kosher. I don't eat meat that's not kosher. I don't eat any meat. I don't eat basar becholov either. And I don't eat right. any seafood. I don't eat any of that stuff. So I also need. Any, I'm um, glad
0: you're, a, you're a better you're a better vegan than me. I'm a, I'm I'm i lapsed because I mean I tried going complete. I'm I'm completely vegetarian, but the vegan thing is a little too tough for me to avoid eggs and dairy. Is uh, I tried, I tried, but I didn't last too long. I did have, I had, I had a gorgeous leather jacket that at some point I just I couldn't I couldn't wear it anymore. I I, I looked at it; it was really nice, but I was like, I'm wearing a piece of a cow. This I, I I couldn't anymore, and I gave it away. So, I'm 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 with you at heart, but I'm still I'm still a little schwach on actually carrying it through. But I haven't had a piece of chicken or fish or meat in. I don't know. I'm oh I don't know. Eight years, nine years by now.
1: So yes, exactly. People like you are called lacto vegetarian.
0: Okay. Do you means still eat dairy? I still eat dairy and I still eat, eat eggs. Yeah. so ovo over-
1: lacto. Ovo is, is like, over- like like yes. So ovo over- right. lacto vegetarians. Not because you're not you're not a pescatarian. A pescatarian eat.
0: Right, I don't eat fish.
1: So that's the terminology for that. Sometimes some people who eat all, who do eat eggs and otherwise are are, are, are otherwise vegan. Sometimes we, we, um, people would say v e g g a n vegan, and it just mm-hmm. has the word egg in there. Extra egg, yeah. As opposed, as opposed to over over vegetarian, right? But yeah, but the point I'm trying to get at is that I've come full circle because now it's easier for me to avoid eating whenever I see like bacon or sausage or or pepperoni or other, like, or, you know, pepperoni on and and, and, and pizza. I don't have this struggle inside of me to, like, I really want it. And I wish I I, I I blocked it out of my brain, which is also easy when you it. Like, okay, I don't need it. I don't care how, how good it smells. I don't care how, you know, it's not a food for me, and I block it out. So I, I walk down the street in New York or in Thailand or Bangkok. I smell all these foods. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is for other people. This is not for me, and I don't have to worry about it. And the fact that I practiced it as a teenager, it's just good and practice. Actually, helped so.
0: Right, I had the same experience. I when I was when I was heading towards becoming a vegetarian, I expected it to be very hard. I thought I was going to be on a diet for the rest of my life, but never for one moment was it hard. Once I made the switch, that was it. I, I don't I don't have the time anymore. So tell me about Thailand. What was that like? That that's got to be a whole different world from what you know the world we're used to here. It was interesting, right? It was very interesting. So not only did I go to Thailand, I went to Thailand in the
1: middle of COVID. COVID. Yeah. I left New York City right before quarantine and- and, and, what, and March? Mid-March, exactly. Mm-hmm. March 16th is when my flight took out, but it was right after midnight. So really, March 15th was my last day in New York City that weekend. And as far as, if I remember correctly, March 17th is when things started to shut down. Mm-hmm. Before I left, I started hearing firsthand accounts of people who had COVID in this building. Oh, wow. Like, and, and I recently learned, so, I, so at the first case I had, like I was in the courtroom, in the courthouse in, in Manhattan, family court, they're like, so judge so-and-so's intern had pneumonia. And then a couple of days later, it was finally revealed, not officially, like there was no like an official said, it was like from word of mouth that the actual pneumonia, they the, the thought was pneumonia was actually COVID. So now the, the I, I freaked out because it was like a few days before my flight. I checked with this person, so this is March. This person is still in in rehab. Wow! After going through all, so you just wow. just think, like when people talk about, oh, there's such low, slow, low, small percentage of of recovery. It's so a small percent, Sorry, small percentage of, of, of the death rates and and high percentage of recovery and all that. Even people who recover, who go through this stuff, it's bad. It takes them a while to, especially if people back in early on when they thought that ventilators were the solution. I don't want to get into that, but. Can you imagine still being in rehab? Months later. Getting it in, in March. And wow. this, this is not to mention the long-term effects of people who have otherwise, you know, seemingly recovered, but not, you know, whatever. But that's a different conversation. I, I, I don't have any first-hand accounts on that. So you were in
0: Thailand. You you got there just
1: under the wire. So, so I left New York literally on, like, when I still got into the plane, I was worried they'll cancel my flight. Wow. Until we actually took off. Yeah. I was like... I have to prepare myself mentally to the chance That's of this okay. getting cancelled, right. but eventually, so I left. You know, so, you know. So March seventeenth, I landed in Taiwan, then I landed again in in Bangkok on, on March seventeenth, and over there, everybody was already re- wearing masks. But I was there the first day. I wasn't used to it. I wore a mask on the plane for a little bit. I took it off every little while, especially when people were around me or people passed by the aisle, etc. Once I landed in Taiwan. You know, I had to change planes. They checked my temperature. That was the first time in in dozens and dozens of times that my te- temperature was checked. And also, everybody was wearing masks around. So when I landed in Bangkok, everybody was wearing masks. I, I felt out of the place when I went out for for a few minutes without a mask. I felt like you know almost a naked person in a dressed mm-hmm. place. Right. So, and then people, you know, temperatures. They I, I check temperatures in almost everywhere that you would go to: condominiums, supermarkets. I'm still. I was today in, in 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 New York City in Times Square. They don't check temperature, and I still can't get over it.
0: I see it, it, it's how different it is in my from work. I see each state to state how different it is. You know, in New York, it's it's commonplace. Most people are wearing masks. In Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, almost no one, almost no one's wearing one. A lot of stores or places will have a sign on the door that says "mask required," but nobody's wearing one. It's bizarre, it's weird.
1: That is sad, I think, because, so, so okay, let's, let's, let's get to that in a minute. So I'm in Thailand, I, I, so I, I was placed in, so I, I went there for the purpose of having some medical procedure, which we're not gonna talk about, but that's what I went for. But because I had to go to the medical procedure, my doctors were like, oh, you came from New York, huh? We're gonna put you. We're gonna make sure that you don't have quarantine COVID or, before we work right. with you. So I was actually put in quarantine for 14 days by my doctors. It wasn't like a, the government didn't require me, it was just like, uh, my doctors were like, we'll postpone our scheduled appointment. We'll, we'll, we'll we have to make sure that you don't have COVID. So two weeks later. And how did
0: you manage to be on quarantine in a, in a foreign country on your own over there?
1: So I, I came with a person who came with me, my companion came with me. I don't want to get into that a lot, but I had somebody to come with me. That person walked around. Then we tried to social distance in the house mm-hmm. the best we could. And so it's manageable. It was manageable. And otherwise, I would have got, I would have had people help me, you know, delivery of foods and such like, and you know, groceries yeah. and stuff like that. And okay. there is a whole motorcycles are ubiquitous, are ubiquitous, yeah, ubiquitous, uh, yeah. ubiquitous into, uh, in Bangkok. So you have a lot of you know the equivalent of Uber Eats. So mm. every restaurant, so especially then by that, by that time, there was already restaurants were already closed. It would only take out and delivery. As I was there, they also had um, curfew from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m prohibited sale of alcohol, he took this mm. stuff seriously. And guess wow. what? Thailand has 70 million people. That's three and a half times the population of New York. Last time I checked, there's 58 reported cases of deaths of wow. COVID since ever.
0: I mean, look, there's no denying uh, the U.S. has, we have, what, 5% of the world's population and we have 25% of the world's number of COVID cases. It's, it's not even a debate, but USA, USA, USA.
1: Leading numbers. Anyways, so I was there for two weeks. I got tested. So I got my first COVID test in Thailand. And that was an interesting experience. I got my, my first COVID test results in Thai and English. And then eventually I was, I, I went through my procedure, then I, uh, my, I needed time to recover, so I was also most of the time at home. But eventually I started walking outside and I got used to wearing masks. It was like, I'm, it's so easy for me to wear masks. I, I don't understand why people have this problem. And I told you this, and I'm gonna say this again, I had people that were working with me or, or dealing with me, and they're like, this, they heard this, this is like mid-April and end of April, and they're like, what's going on? The USA has protests and have a problem with masks and they wanna open businesses what's what's going on there and i'm like you know you you can you sometimes get drunk you see you know people get drunk on alcohol or in other substances americans get drunk freedom and because we you don't get drunk, drunk we are drunk right and then when you're like oh you telling me that i have to protect my my health and my neighbor's health how dare you tell me what to do i'm not going to do what you are telling me to do and it's sad that we've gotten to this point because it makes you wonder like is you know is freedom even worth it you know like you have better healthcare in jail <laughs>
0: Right. It's it's just it's also it's just pure selfishness. Not only is it selfish, but it's 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 short sighted because if if you're not careful, your neighbor's gonna get sick, and your neighbor's gonna make your you, your son sick, your daughter, your cousin, your grandmother. It's it's whether you like it or not, we live in a community, we live in a society, and masks are really it's it's to help you. And if everybody's helping themselves, you're 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 helping. We're all helping each other. It's just and it costs nothing it doesn't hurt it doesn't i don't know i don't i don't get it so
1: i also decided because i realized that that you know, people are talking about oh, that you know covid is going to be with us for a long time i have gotten um and because i like fashion in okay, case so you can't tell you can check out my instagram mm-hmm. i have some uh, fashionable stuff in there i think
0: golden so, penny what is it golden penny
1: One nine eight seven.
0: One nine eight seven. golden penny one eight seven yeah go on
1: 1987 which is right. of course um yeah anyways i'm dating myself but i don't care Um, so i have a whole bunch of masks that i can match with my clothing i even i even got a few suits tailor-made in thailand and i got suits i got the sorry i got the masks to match the the same cloth um, so and i'm i'm gonna and i also have a couple of masks with my logo i was wearing one today
0: it's like it's it's like a piece of clothing it's an accessory why in the world not you know, have fun with it. We have to wear it. Might as well have fun with it. Many
1: countries have been wearing masks uh, also in, in big numbers, especially in the so-called uh, Far East, China, in that region, in Southeast Asia. In Asia,
0: yeah, I know. I remember when I was there, when I was in Korea. It's just very common.
1: Both because of, of previous pandemics that they had over there, SARS and others, and also because of all, the often even they, if you uh, have a cold, quality, yes, that, that too, that too, and hopefully in our society, in Western society, I don't have too much hope for for, for the United States, but I, hopefully in our society, it's going to be more, it's going to be common even after COVID is over and everybody has vaccines to it. It's going to be common for sometimes people to wear masks especially if they have colds or if they're not feeling well or if they're in a compromise, it should be, it should be normalized. It should be acceptable in society. It shouldn't be funny. It should, people shouldn't feel peer pressure to take off their mask. It should always be acceptable whenever you feel it. Now it should be mandatory for everybody in public settings. But after COVID is over, in my opinion, it should be normalized. People to wear masks whenever they feel like it, especially if they have a cold, especially if they're in a compromise, especially if they have a good a good health reasons for it, and especially if they live in, 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 in a city that, that has a bad pollution. Or, you know, obviously different masks are more effective. We can, work, we, can, you can, we can work around it. So that's that. And also when people kept asking me where I'm from, I made it a point to say I'm from New York. Uh, that was my answer. If you know where New York is in the United States, you know that I'm also American. But for two reasons, I didn't want to say I'm from the United States. Because one, the United States is so huge. Like, you know, California is not next to Alaska and maybe right. not next to Florida. It might as well
0: be a different country.
1: Might as well be a different country. Now it almost feels like that, but that's a you know, whole other question, whole other conversation. But also, again, yeah, between that and also because of political stuff going on and, and, and certain images around the world, and I didn't want to emphasize that. And I, and I have an American passport, and I when I need to show it, I show it. But where are you from? I'm from New York.
0: Well, speaking of politics, to backtrack for a second, tell me, talk to me about the way I hear about this stuff is usually – Conservative people complaining about liberals, because the liberals I know don't have these issues, don't talk about it, don't care about it. But I usually hear conservatives kvetching and whining about liberals. The politics surrounding the whole issue of transgender people, whether it used to be bathrooms, and now it's whether, I don't know, competitions. It's still, it's, so, so so sports. It's still bad. Bathrooms are still a still, still thing. So tell me about that, because I'm I'm not steeped in this stuff. So tell me, what are the, these controversies? What are they crying about? Is it a real problem or not? Tell me.
1: So let's also back off, and and then we can. I want to get back to this. So I want to acknowledge that unfortunately we live in a society that everything that relates to public decisions is politics. Politics is a dirty word in some in in some ways, especially if it's a divisive sense, right? But if you really go down, because I, I studied some political science when I was an undergrad. And I remember this following phrase, I might be messing it up, but the, the essence of it is as follows. You might not care about politics, but politics cares about you, yes. right? Politics picks up the garbage outside of your house. Politics build, builds the bridges outside of your house. Everything, in our, everything that relates to how we as a society, in this case, we, have, we live in the United States of America, and so it's our society, we live in different states, so it's slightly different. But the point is, everything that relates to how the public interacts with each other, Everything in public, everything about the rules of how we operate, the explicit rules. Especially that, when we're talking about
0: policies that turn into law.
1: Policies that turn into law. And everything, yeah. exactly. oftentimes, law, laws reflect the policies of either of today or of the, time, of the people who wrote it of the time of people who wrote it and, and who enacted it. So everything that relates to personal is potential or either potential or actually political issue. Now, most of the time... You know, seat belts, right? Should, should we be required to wear seatbelts, right? There was a point in time that this was a controversial issue, right? Right, right There was yeah. a point in time that it was interesting as cars, our car companies bought it, yeah. Of course, of course. And then eventually, this is also a good parallel with, with face masks, but but it's also, it's also like, so far, it doesn't seem to take the same direction, but maybe one day it will. But let's, you know, I'm just using it as an example.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a political issue. Because it has to do with how we interact with each other. first if a car hits you and then you are more likely to die, we want to make sure that everybody is protected from less likely to die, less less likely to get such hard injuries. And everybody is required to put on a seatbelt. When a car when a, a cop stops you over and you don't wear a seatbelt, you can get a fine for it. That's a political issue. It's not a controversial political issue, but it's a political issue. Right. Right. You could have tomorrow a a, a politician who says, "I want to repeal the mandatory seatbelt laws." And then you, before you know it, people are going to start debating it. And there will be people who will
0: be for it, will be for, you know, freedom, freedom. Let me decide if I want to kill myself, if I want to be killed in a car accident, let me do it myself. There were people saying that. If you read, if you read, you know, like op-eds from whatever it was, the 70s or even the 60s, and Ralph Nader is, is pushing for seatbelts, there were people screaming and yelling, How, uh, yeah, freedom, freedom, freedom.
1: Okay. So now I'm taking seatbelts. Seatbelts so aren't a personal issue. Right? It's either so it's personal only if you have strong feelings about seatbelts. It's it's personal if you have to expend money. If, if I'm telling you you're not allowed to sell this car unless you have seatbelts on it. Right. So now cars cost ten dollars more. Right, or whatever the numbers are. But it's also not personal. It's your business. It's your it's what you do. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, some of people's identities become political issues because some people decide that they don't they have certain feelings about it, and those feelings are hurtful to us. Now this starts with civil rights basic civil rights is that because people are like i there's a certain group of people that i want to mistreat i want to put you in a different lunch counter i want to put you in, a, in, a, in a diff, the back of the bus the front of the bus i want to put you i want to tell you that you're not allowed to come to this building because i don't want to treat you that because i think of less of you i'm basically taking you as a human being and i'm, I'm treating you differently because of it and then people say like excuse me this is not okay rosa parks the king jr and all the people in between john lewis jr marching and protesting and then we have you know eventually leading to the beginning it's not even the end some people think it's the end of it the beginning of, of civil rights in 1960 64 65 civil rights act of you know we as a society Just like we don't want people to hurt people physically, we don't want people in our society to create different categories of people. You go to this different water fountain, you go to this different launch counter, you go to this different part of the bus. Everybody must be treated equally, and you cannot, in a public setting, you cannot treat people differently. Right? That's the basic civil rights. But it became a political issue. It is, people who made it a political issue aren't the people who are fighting for their rights to be recognized and be treated equally when they go to a launch counter or when they go on a bus or when they go to a water fountain. It was the people who told them, we treat you differently. And then they had to fight back and say, don't treat me differently. You're not allowed to treat me differently. And that's a political issue. And slowly, so I'm sure, are you familiar with the term Overton um, window? Overton window, yeah, sure. So so, so over time, Overton time windows can keep changing and now it's no longer an issue in, in in most places in the United States, whether or not black people deserve to, to be allowed to use water fountains. It's like almost a given to be allowed to be prohibited from using certain water fountains that are only designed for white people. I, I, right now, I don't want to get into systemic racism, but I just want to acknowledge that it exists. And I just also want to acknowledge that whatever I just said is a general, I'm using a, 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 a narrative that exists and to draw from it in parallels, not to compare anything else to it. Mm-hmm. So in the same way that that happens, people were like, we don't want gay people to get married. Therefore, we're going to have laws that prohibit people from getting married to people they're attracted to, even though they're two adults and otherwise are, have a healthy relationship. And that's what gay marriage came about. And thankfully, we've passed that in the United States. And so now now the next, you know, uh, I mean, some people are still trying to repeal that, but that's a whole different conversation. So again, you take people's identities and make it into a political issue. You have people running on the ballot. I'm pro gay marriage. I'm against gay marriage. You know, you have referendums in California, et cetera, that you have like to ban, you know, you have all this kind of stuff. You have constitutional amendments in different states in the United States that, right ban the state governments from recognizing gay marriage. So the point is we become political issues. So it shouldn't be, but it is. And so so these issues become personal to people. So this now, so this brings us back to, to your question. Why do I think of all those things? So there are different issues. So bathrooms are one of them. Which bathrooms should people use? Right now in our society, most public places have separate yeah. bathrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Male bathroom, female bathroom, men's room, women's room, ladies' room, etc., etc. Most of the time, it's either either or, and transgender people. I still remember this. I still remember being in, in a point in time that I felt comfortable using the men's bathroom. I still remember that, and I have my own my own memories to from my, from my own mind to to deal with: good experiences, bad experiences, neutral experiences. And there came a time when I started confronting my own gender identity that I realized I no longer feel comfortable in the men's room, but I also realized that visually people still look at me like a man, which is the same time as, as I came out to you, which is early on, by the way. And and I also was conscious of the fact that if I go to women's room, they will not feel comfortable with me. And right. there was a point then that I literally was anxious every time I went to the bathroom. I, I, I don't wanna say I don't wish it to my worst enemies because maybe they do deserve that. But generally <laughs> speaking, I wouldn't wish it on people to go through that kind of anxiety. It's of was comfort, anxiety. yeah. I had to, when I was in those days that I had to walk into men's room because that was the most convenient thing to do in, in, in that specific situation. I had to dissociate. I had to be like, take a deep breath before entering and almost literally exhale only after getting out.
0: Brace it yourself. Be... Yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. I mean, sometimes sometimes you have to do it literally too, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> now, you remember Moses said, let my people pee? Oh, wait, that wasn't Moses. Um, but the point is, <laughs> yeah. so, okay, let's, I'll get back to that in a second. Sometimes, so some places have gender neutral bathrooms. So they have men, men's room, men's room, men's room, and remember gender-
0: the first time I saw a gender neutral was at Footsteps. And, Okay, cool, whatever. I don't care. I mean, uh, like you know, it's my attitude to everything. Whatever, this is, doesn't hurt me, so what? But the
1: point is that you have to be an, um, from, uh, aware that people around you could be anxious about it, could be feeling uncomfortable.
0: No, of course, I and understand that. And if you
1: see somebody, so I'm encouraging you, as a person who said earlier that you feel okay with the label being man, whatever that means, we can get, we, we don't have to get into that much. But if you see somebody who might not look exactly like a man, and maybe people have them second look at. Make sure to be there for them, and make sure to tell them: if you want to be here, you belong here. So it could be sometimes a, a, a transgender man, or it could be somebody who's early on in being transgender man and doesn't no longer feel as comfortable in the in the women's bathroom. And you are there for them. Make it a point, either in your actions or in your words or in your facial expressions or whatever it becomes relevant, that you support them. And that's you, and that's true for other people too. Let people pee. People go to the bathroom. People who have intentions of hurting people in the bathrooms, do it without dressing like the other gender.
0: And it doesn't matter what sign is on the door. They're going to do what they want to do.
1: Exactly. There are people who, like, some people say, oh, what if one of the closest arguments to a good faith argument that I could get on the side that says we shouldn't let people who look like men to use the women's bathroom. First of all, how are you going to decide that? You know, who, who decides how a man looks like, how a woman looks like? What if it's a woman who has short hair and she has loose clothing and you can't see some features and somehow, you know, strong facial features and you're going to kick her out? Like, you know, right. and... Anybody who, who who opens other people's, tries to, to peep into other people's, uh, this, regardless of their gender and gender of the of the bathroom, that's a problem. Like people need privacy in the bathroom. Let my people pee. <laughs> and you can have men in the men's bathroom who, who prey on boys. And you can have men pray in this and who, who peek and, and, and violate people's privacy in there. And you have that women in, in there and you have... Anything in between, if somebody really wants to hurt somebody, they don't have to say, oh, and also keep in mind, obviously it's not required, but most of the time when somebody goes to transgender trans- journey of this process, why would a person go through so many changes in their own life just because they wanna prey on women in locked bathrooms?
0: Right, there are easier ways.
1: I mean, hypothetically speaking, <laughs> ideally speaking in an ideal world, we should have, you know, stalls in public bathrooms and every, everything is going to be gender neutral. And there should be a space for people who want to put on makeup and stuff like that and people who feel like kind of don't want to have that gaze of certain group gaze, G-A-Z-E, mm-hmm. of certain mm-hmm. people to, to be staring at them. Maybe should have safety in both directions. I can see that. But, like, I can see the benefit of having separate ones because it, because there are certain categories of people who are more likely to be predators to a certain category of people. But oftentimes, the people who turn out to be those predators are 99% of the time cis cis people, oftentimes cis men.
0: With too much, right, goes back to the testosterone conversation, yeah.
1: Fair enough, and you know, I I don't wanna shame anybody. You know, if you have, it's okay to have those inclinations, just the question is how you're gonna- How you act. And how, you know, it's it's understandable, so if you are a person who is turned on by certain types of images, and you don't wanna be around it because you wanna respect them, I can see why you wanna have your own space, and also somebody who often is accused of being, you know, sexual by their appearance, by people who get turned on by. So, but bottom line is, it happens to be that cis men tend to be, be more likely to be predatory, be, have predatory behavior in bathrooms, than transgender women. But transgender mm-hmm. women are the ones who are being politicized and being, you know, oftentimes use them as a, oh, what if somebody's gonna see the transgender and just go
0: in there? So- Right, they're at the receiving end. They're the victims of this. But the thing is that,
1: that not exclusively, you know who else is in the receiving end? Women, cis women. Oftentimes, when people who perceive the cis woman as not womanly enough because they've gotten into their head, I, have, I know a person who is non binary but was assigned female at birth, presents like androgynously like short hair, I think naturally have large breasts, but like when they wear clothes, they wear it loosely so you don't notice it, and also strong facial features. And the person who goes into the women's bathroom, check them out on, on Instagram, Rain Dove, amazing human being, very compassionate person, and the person literally. What's the word for it? When they uh, paint spray, with Mace? Mace, the person was maced, literally. Whoa. Because the person wow. felt unsafe. And this person who, who is, according to society, belonged in that bathroom, right. tried to engage with this person and say, you know, whatever. And then finally the person apologized. And the person's like, you know, I have an F on my... Or my the person showed that F and their passport. And like, sometimes they feel the F stands for failure. But the thing is that people who, because they're being told to have fear of, of certain group of people, their fear clouds them, and they are—they have a problem with... They don't even think they're afraid of, and they just... And there was a recently a story about a, and a woman who was arrested, and, and some, because somebody thought that she, she was transgender, she was sent to a, a prison, literally risking her life, let alone other violence, and she wasn't even transgender. It's like, once you get into your head with all this stuff, it's just, you know... I think there needs to be a right middle ground. So that's that. Now you have sports. Sports is more complicated. Because it does have to do with some physical features, and there's some. On average, men have certain t- different abilities than women. But just like any other group, there's a bell curve, and you have men who are weaker and or even right, right. stronger than everybody else. You have anybody in between, and then you have even women. So you have a lot of women who are stronger than all the women, women who are weaker than all of them. And then you have the average, the bell curve, and then you have some people on this side of the bell curve or women who are stronger in whatever type of score you're running and this, Then some people who are on the other side of the so to speak. And then, So I have mixed feelings about it. I can understand where both sides come from. and people So people say, oh, transgender men be competing with, men, with, with, with other men. Should transgender women be competing with other women? Here is my personal experience. I have been on, so HRT is a, is a hormone replacement ther- therapy. It's a thing basically replacing, going through therapy that replaces the, the hormones that your body is regulated by, which like I explained earlier. And I have, like, other than feeling less energy with testosterone, there's a lot of other changes in my body that's been happening. And one of them is loss of muscle mass. I lost wow. a lot of muscle. Like the other day I was trying to, you know, I, to jump in the air. I, I used to be able to jump much easier, much taller, much higher. Now I can barely jump a few inches without, if I, unless I have to exercise first, maybe, maybe I'm going to, it's more difficult. Build back up. Yes. I I know people who who are running before and after going on HRT like me, and they had whatever, you know, 25 minutes for X number of miles. And then after a couple of years, it takes them 30 minutes for the same distance.
0: I mean, we know this, this is obvious The in general, generally speaking, the average on average, males have more muscle than females. I mean, I know this from having having been in the army. The males have a certain st- physical standard. They have to do this many push-ups, this many sit-ups, run this fast, and females right. have a different and right. and it goes by your age and your and whatever. But then when it comes to sports, because we segregate boys and girls, males and females, now it gets complicated. right.
1: so so in many in many international organizations, I can't list them, but one could research them. Many of them, including the Olympic uh, Olympic ones, they have a rule of if you're transgender, if you've been for a year on the gender of your gender identity, after a year you've been on those hormones, you're allowed to compete on the other side. And the thing is, the people again, I'm countering the arguments of people saying, "Oh, it's you know, it's not fair." If you look at all those organizations that allow for people who who've been a year on hormones to go to the, to, you know, I'm talking about transgender women specifically because that's a stronger argument because it. People don't have as strong feelings about transgender men competing with men. It might be obvious, it might not be obvious. I'm not sure. But let's talk about transgender women competing with women. If you look at the actual numbers of how many transgender women try to compete and actually won medals that are compatible to you know the, in any way that you can measure, you will see that they are less likely to win, to reach certain standards, let alone to win. Major medals, and you can see some stories. But even then, there's a story recently. I don't remember the specific details, but I do remember that a transgender woman got first place, and obviously cisgender women got second and third place. But the the, but the woman who got third place was complaining, even though she she was third to a, a cis woman and a trans woman. I mean, even that was was an exception that I think proves the rule. That it's even you know it's even less likely. It's not like there was this unfair unfair situation where men have unfair to, advantage. To women. Because first of all, in most places that allow it. You have to literally, why would you lose muscle mass? Why would you go through a, a situation where, what, which, do you know any man who- To make who, yourself weaker. Who's comfortable with a man who likes to have breast scoring? Right. Like, why right. would you want, these other these other side effects that we don't have to be explicit about right now that are also in a sexual sense that I can't imagine a cisgender man wanting to lose those just because they want to get an advantage over women and, and pretend to be a woman just for, for, for sports. So the thing is that it, it's overblown. Oftentimes it's because of fear. And I believe in education. Living letting people understand, come meet us, actually sit down and explain stuff. There are people who have decided made up their mind, and that's also true for any issue in politics, but except of this course. issue in politics, let's start a person, like I said, it's not like- it's people's lives, right, yeah. And sometimes people use that, and then because people feel so strongly about it, they lock themselves into that position, therefore take other positions that literally endanger our lives, right? So, you t- so, you- so we're talking about bathrooms, we're talking about sports, we're talking about gay marriage, did you know there is a thing called hmm. the, the gay, gay and transgender panic defense. Gay panic defense or transgender panic defense. Where in many states in the United States, if, if a person, let's say I am a transgender woman, I go to a bar and I meet a guy who sees himself as straight, he sees me as a woman, looks sexy enough, attractive enough for him to take him home, to take me home with him. And then right. somehow, I, depending on, on something he discovers or something of my story that I tell him, he discovers I'm trans. He gets so enraged in, in his own insecurities that, oh my God, now I'm gay because I dated a trans woman, which is insane, but that's because it's not right. true because street women are attracted to men and trans women, and women. But oftentimes they would take out a gun and shoot the person, and I'm not exaggerating. And in many states in the United States, it's either it's a legal argument, it's it often does, it, it, it almost literally gets you, can get you away. You can research this it's gay and panic defense. And gay and trans panic defense, and it's either to it either it could often be effective to lower the, the severity of the charge, and or used to give you less of a harsh sentence because oh my god I was so enraged I was you know I was so insecure in my own sexuality that I was so enraged that I wanted to kill this person this gay person this trans person, a person. Right. and slowly but surely more I don't remember the number of states it might be eleven it might be twelve or something along those lines that I have banned that panic defense. New York State is one of them a couple of months ago, maybe a year ago. You can Google this, you can see the number. But in over 30 states, in the United States and in the federal government, you could use that as an excuse to either get away with murder or to make it easier for you to, to get more lenient.
0: Lighter so, so, sentence, so this wow. Is,
1: you know, you talk about politics, our very lives. And people have transphobic attitudes. There is a high number of transgender women being murdered. And even bigger, this portion of black transgender women, So hashtag black lives matter, hashtag trans lives matter, hashtag black trans lives matter.
0: Well, the other the other political issue that I hear come up is I don't know if I get this right, but hormone blockers for either kids or teenagers. And the argument is you're starting too early. Tell me more about that. I'm
1: not a medical professional, but I'll tell you a little bit I do know. So so let's talk about the function of it. So when we are teenagers, our bodies uh, you know, depends on people's age. Sometimes people have it early, sometimes have it later. Some people haven't passed their development stage until after 40, 50, but that's a different conversation. Yeah, that was sarcasm. But I'm, I'm, I keep saying it's sarcasm because of Poe's law. Sometimes you can't tell which one is which and I want to make it clear, especially if people can't see my face.
0: My shita is if you don't catch the sarcasm, then you deserve to fall for the joke. That's all. But but
1: sometimes it's, it's important stuff. And, mm-hmm. and that's funny and cool if it's the small things, but when, especially when the stuff I talk about, it, it like if I would have meant it seriously, I would have been hurting people or, or you know saying hurtful things about people, and I want to make it clear that you know, it's sarcasm. But right. yeah, that's me. So generally speaking, I, I'm just repeating and, and I'm getting into it just to start off. So our bodies go through purity. Whatever, depending on the kind of genitalia we have and the kind of glands we have, sometimes it's actually surprising people who thought they were one. Oftentimes, it's intersex; they realize that internally they have different parts of their body, and then there's some kind of disconnect. But that's not a conversation. People, generally speaking, people who have who are born with testicles and a penis go through a different certain kind of puberty around early teenagehood and extends to 2021. 20, And then people who are born with vulvas, vaginas, oftentimes go through their puberty also depending, sometimes it's nine years old, 12 years old, sometimes people have it later on in their uh, other teens. So sometimes you have kids who come out and tell their parents, people who who are raised as boys, say, actually, I'm a girl. Or vice versa, people, kids who are raised as girls, say, actually, I'm a boy. And then there's a few stages. There is a stage before puberty or early on in puberty where there are hormone blockers, where they are 100% reversible. Take a blocker, mm-hmm. you basically tell your body, hold on one second, let's figure this out. I'm only 12 years
0: old. So, what it's doing is it's pushing off puberty? Yes, basically. Yes. And then, okay.
1: hypothetically, if, if the kids still feel strongly about it in the next two years, you, you, you keep it until 18. And then by 18, you decide you want to continue to block it or you do something else. Or and mm-hmm. if, you choose, if you choose to change your mind after a year or two and you start with 12 and 14, you're like, okay, actually, I am, I am what I was told. You stop the hormone blockers. And you get back, and your body continues to where it was before it started. And you continue going to puberty. You start.
0: And, and you'll go through puberty as if it were two, three years yes. before. Yes. That, okay.
1: Mm-hmm. So, that, okay. That's my understanding of the literature. That's, that's my the, understanding. That's the idea. Some people might not understand it. And the thing is also so let's get also one thing out of the way. I'm not aware of any surgery, specific trans surgery, that's been performed on people before they're 18. I'm not aware of that. Mm-hmm. There might be exceptions for 17 with parents or emancipation. I can't, I can't tell. get into that. I'm not sure. But kids are not getting surgeries, either to remove their breasts or to so-called bottom surgery, genital surgery. I'm not aware of anybody in the United States operating that way or in other Western countries, let alone in, in so-called developing countries. That doesn't exist. Pills, my understanding of those pills, the specific pills that I haven't taken those, and sometimes I wish I did, sometimes I'm not sure if I wish I did, I have that as a teenager. They basically block your puberty until you re- until you're ready, or either to go back to to what you wanted, or to make sure that your body doesn't develop in a way that makes you feel not in your own body
0: that you don't so, want. Yeah,
1: people do have. So now it becomes public. It becomes a this when if you have a society that has public healthcare. Do we do we do that? Some people just think it's it should it should be illegal for anybody to do it, and also even more so when parents are going through divorce and they disagree about that. So there was a recently a, a, a famous story in, coming out of Texas, which made its story to headlines, insanely so. I think unjustifiably or so, but with a kid, man standing a change than a girl, who, who the mother wanted to affirm, and most medical doctors, as far as I know, say the right that's the right treatment to do, and but the father wasn't. So there was a whole thing, and and, and ended up in, in and then people who have an interest, putting groups with certain policies against each other, use that as 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 as, a, as a, be like, oh those, liberal, those liberals are have you know. What,
0: they want to do that, this to yeah. our
1: children, they want to do this to our children. But there's one sign I often think about in this context. People are like, oh, don't, don't turn our children to transgender. Like, like, don't trans our children. Like, they make trans a verb. And then there's a sign that says, I, I don't want to make your a cis, a, cis a cis child transgender, but I also don't want you to keep transgender kids as cis. Because oftentimes, you don't remember when you were a kid saying, I, I actually feel like a girl, do you? And most no. people who are cis men don't have that feeling. I cannot say personally that I felt when I was a child, five, 10 years old, that I wanted to be a girl. I had some inklings to it that I can point back and say, you know what, in retrospect, that would make more sense if I had some kind of directions in that. But
0: understand. Yes, or, 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 or
1: wishful thinking or feelings. But I. But the thing is also, I don't exist in a vacuum. I grew up in a, in a very strict, which comes up to the very beginning of our conversation, very strict environment, which is religion, it's just, in, in, in some, to some extent, the, the rules of the religion are just, are just a structure by which you have to operate in this structure. Therefore, you have rules. Some of those rules are, are, are unspoken. Sometimes the rules that are officially not so important, like wearing a yarmulke. It's not even a darabana. But somehow, if you take off your yarmulke, you're, you're faster to be cut out of shul than the other person who speaks alashon Right, <laughs> right, and even the people who yeah. talk about oh, you know, eating eating um, strawberries is almost like eating um, worms and worse than eating bacon and whatever. Work right, or or unfiltered New York water. Those people, yeah. I have never heard of somebody who lost an aliyah, who was kicked out of a shul because they drank the unfiltered water or ate strawberries or ate cauliflower or ate uh, broccoli. Right, even though they claim that it's like you know a right? It's like very
0: stringent stuff. And then you have people who like taking off the yarmulke. Hold on. It's like it's like the Christians who are worried about gay marriage, but they don't care about shrimp. They're, everybody, they're picking and choosing what to get excited about. So,
1: well, I forgot why when I, when I, when I'm using this example.
0: Also, oh, because we grew up in this environment. that You have all these rules, even even
1: though those rules are... One could say, no world, we are, you're allowed to wear a green yarmulke. Nobody wears a green yarmulke. It was also one of my first early realizations when I was from... When I, when, that was one of my last straws. When I, it was like a, I was in the United States, and there was um, a big uh, funeral of a big rabbi in Israel. And I saw, I looked at the news because that was the news I, I was reading at the time, and, and I saw aerial pictures of like you know blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks full of black people, men wearing black. And I, I remember looking right, at it, right. from like at this picture, and I'm like, none of these people woke up this morning and said, you know what, today I
0: feel like wearing a green hat. Today I feel like wearing a green yarmulke. <laughs> none of them, right? Like you have to But it's like it's like the food thing we were saying earlier. If it's not even an option, so you don't think about but it. But more than that. But more than it's an option. If you are from person,
1: and you can, tomorrow you're going to wear a white yarmulke instead of a black yarmulke, you're going to green, any color that's not black, you'll be an outcast. People will look at you funny. Right, you're a weirdo. There's a social pressure yeah. against it. You can't even choose the color of your yarmulke, let alone the size of it, let alone the existence of it. And that was when when I really when it really dawned on me that I you know this this is not choice. This is not a life of choice. If anybody who chooses that life chooses not to have choice,
0: which is okay clearly i mean we we say it derisively they they look like penguins you know you have to live a very very narrow specific predetermined existence if you deviate in almost any way you're gone you're out so in
1: this context i'm using this as a metaphor and also put things in context by saying if i i, I felt bad stepping into the women's the show, to the women's section even when no women were there because this, I was, I was scared the same much as I scared. I was scared. It's not your place. You don't exactly. there. Exactly. So, and same thing goes with the thoughts. You know, talk about thought police. You know, people. Are, you know, you have to make sure that you don't think impure thoughts and all that kind of stuff. And between everything combined, if you put everything, all those mixture together, it's difficult for a person to express anything that that isn't the norm. And if they do, it's easy to, for society to hush you up, and and in a way that you have no choice. You must block it, or else you're not going to survive in this world. So. This is what I wanted to get. It goes back to how people, you know, express ourselves. when We were kids, and then I had feelings in certain mind and thoughts, and you know, whatever. Do you feel like I answered your question about? The-
0: you did. You okay. did. You did. I look. I don't know if there is an answer or answers, definitive answers. I'm. I just want to hear. I wanted to hear what you gave me. I wanted to hear it thought out, articulated, because I mostly hear people kvetching about it from the other end and i'm not worked up about it one way or another but it's bothering someone so i wanted to hear your side of the story so to speak you know what i mean i wanted to hear hear the the other perspective but it doesn't affect my life like i said earlier so i i don't care you're not hurting anyone so it doesn't doesn't bother me so tell me about about now your life now you're a fancy schmancy lawyer what kind of work do you do? What's What are you up to now? Now I'm not on Facebook anymore. I don't know what anybody does anymore. So tell me what, what but you are on Instagram. I'm on Instagram, but it, it's different. Instagram is very um, different. So, so. It's better, by the way. For my purposes, it's much better because it's less interactive, which is good. For me, it was good. I, I overdosed on Facebook, and so I'm, I'm better off being boring and seeing mostly boring stuff, and that's, that's good for me. You're not missing out, man. I know I don't miss it for once. Anyways,
1: but I still am on Facebook. So because of my life circumstances and other things, my situation right now, my lawyership is kind of second. Before COVID, I I would go to various courts throughout New York City to be a volunteer attorney to be, provide pro bono prov- prov- legal advice. Now I sometimes people ask me for for advice. I sometimes you know take some money for it and whatever they can afford. If they have like, you know, those, all those legal questions people have, and if I, if I feel like I can can help them and I can help them, I give them, I have Zoom calls and other types of, you know, messages, but I, I, it's not, I'm not like, it's not the active part of my life. It's, it's a second, at this point, it's second, I'm licensed to practice law in in the state of New York, you know, so I'm I'm a lawyer in that sense. My main income is as a translator. I'm also a trans now, not only translator,
0: (laughs) I I, I
1: couldn't skip on that one.
0: You had to, you had yeah, to yeah. use that joke. But I am a translator. So tell me about translating, because I did. Yeah, you know this. I've done I've done a lot of translating. So what do you do? Tell me.
1: So interestingly enough, you, talk, you remember you asked me earlier, oh, does being a yeshiva helped you with being a lawyer? Interestingly enough, my upbringing, to some extent, helped me with my translations. So I'm a translator. I have been translating documents. I'm also an interpreter in court, and also through COVID on Skype with several courts, and I'm going to do a few more. Hebrew, Yiddish? So most of the time, 99% of my work is Hebrew to, to English. And if it's interpreting, it's in both directions, but the same two languages. Rarely do I get into Yiddish. Sometimes Aramaic because if I have to translate exubah, right, the, the marriage.
0: Yeah, marriage contract. contract. It's,
1: not even a, it's not even a contract. There's no contract. It's a marriage document. But that, that's me being a lawyer.
0: Right, right.
1: But I sometimes translate those, those Aramaic documents or other documents that have some Aramaic in them. But most of the time, it's Hebrew to English. Rarely the other way around and rarely read Yiddish. Most of the time, if it's Yiddish, I give it to my friends or or if they are, yeah, normally. So interestingly enough, as a child, I think I have a good skill or or inclination to to understand languages better and be able to pick it up, so to speak. And also, I have a better sense of language, I think, than the average person. When I was a child, there's a Shnai I grew up with that, so I always tried to pay attention to that. I also remember as a child when I would, if I would be sick and I would be at home and I would get medicine, you know, when you have medicine, you have these little tiny pieces of paper and tiny words in it. In Israel, those are in three languages, Hebrew, English, and Arabic. Right. And I remember trying to, so, you know, I'm home and the one time I have some time to do something. And I'm so I'm picking up this document and I'm looking at it and I'm trying to compare the numbers, like, you know, Arabic numerals and, and other trying to, like, I remember asking my mother, what does empty much mean? because a certain mm-hmm. pill had to, you know, had to be taken an the stomach, so my mother taught me this kind of stuff. So I always paid attention to that, and I always tried to look for, between, so between between and and the Taich of, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. right. I actually, so that, that being able to translate words was something I was always, you know, curious about, and once I realized that I
0: had... And so now you literally, that's what you live on, is translation work? That's yeah. really amazing. That's great. I did translation work when I was in college, it was never enough to live off of, but I had, you know, a lot of freelance jobs I had for a while. My my best contract ever was when the DEA, I hate to say this, was spying on Yiddish speaking money launderers and they needed, you know, translation work and they pay $65 an hour. And so guess what? I was putting in as many hours as I could get sitting there translating. But I never, I, I was never able, it never lasted long enough for me to live on it, you know, full time.
1: But I somehow managed. I have my own company now. So I have my own company that I'm the president and CEO of. Look at you. I'm also the only employee of.
0: <laughs> yeah. You can
1: laugh. You can laugh at everyone. No, I'm impressed. It's very cool. I'm a president of PG Language and Research, Inc. Anybody who needs to translate documents can send me an email. pglrtranslations at gmail.com or Reach out to me through social media. I I, I have I have one main uh, client who's a former employer of mine that send me a lot of often you know often enough this amount of work that I translate at home. And I've been working from home maybe for right before COVID was a thing. Long before law school, since 2014, since I started law school, that, that's how I survived in law school. That's how I'm surviving now. So I'm not like so because so unlike most law graduates who, in addition to just wanting to start a legal career, they have like the acquired debt or or they don't have any other source of income. So they need to find something, even a start, you know, even if it's a low salary, you need to start something and need to get into something because they need- to
0: end up being, being a slave at a, at a big law firm, law firm for a while just to pay off their debt. Or at
1: least to, 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 to breathe, be able to breathe through until they right. figure out the next step. So I didn't have that pressure because I have this separate income. So I decided to just take my own time. And especially once I realized that I want to, you know, come out of strands, I don't want to have the pressure of having to come out to, to an employer in a certain way. Or if I know I have to take a break because I want to travel to overseas for medical treatment, I also don't want to take on clients and then say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm telling enough formats. months. I, I want to be able to to be free on my own terms. You're your own boss. Exactly. And when I'll be ready to to represent people in, in a full capacity or whatever capacity it can be on my own, then I'll take on
0: cases. So, yeah that's very cool I didn't even know I didn't even know you have your own your own business that's so cool I'm, I'm so happy for you
1: that's what the PG is about that's, that's very long. cool
0: so, so in closing is there anything else you would want to tell the world because the world listens to my podcast you know in closing what what do we need to know about any of the topics we covered in the last however long it's been
1: so a few things first of all be kind be kind to yourself be kind to each other be understanding of people around you, and, and you know just that. Second, it gets better. Third, it gets better. If you're in a situation where you feel you're alone, especially if you are, if, if you are in a closet, as you know, you want to not be from anymore. You, 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 people around you see you as from, and you don't want to be from anymore. It gets better. There are, there, you're not the only one. There are other people like you.
0: I know it's true. I've seen the video. <laughs>
1: You've seen the video. We have to do an updated one, by the way. It's time. It's time. We can do a Zoom video. We can do a Zoom version now.
0: I have the thought in my head. Believe me, I know.
1: Yes, and then and then same thing. If you're trans and you and you have thoughts that you might be trans, you're not the only one. Seek out help. There are people who are going to affirm you. There are people who are going to support you. There are people who are going to who are going to help you and, and try to be there with you and experience it with, with you in, in, in physical settings and online settings and whatever situations it is, and just. Be kind to yourself and to others. That's the more That's like the basic line.
0: As I forget who makes makes this terribly this awful joke about the atheist, what are the atheist Ten Commandments? Don't be a dick. Just be a <laughs> mensch. Just be a mensch. Be a nice person. Stop being such an asshole. Can we can we finish off by the atheist Th- convention, convention in LA? In LA? <laughs> yeah. yes? can, we, can we like because that was also <laughs> one of the things we sang, I think, on on
1: our way to the convention.
0: You know something? I remember that. Yes, now that you say that. We were singing that song in the car. That's so funny. I forgot about that. That's really fun funny.
1: From LaGuardia On a bright, clear, sunny summer's day What a cheerful trio they appeared to be They were off the ground Westward bound To the Atheist Convention in L.A.
0: Nina Ruth Gold. Yes, that's me. It's so good to see you. I'm so Thank happy you. to see you. Thanks for joining me. To Alright.
1: Thank you for having you here. With the clouds below, they were on the go to the atheist convention in LA.